This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Today our guest, Harry Gant. Let's get this show started. All right guys, so Mike Davis, uh, Leah, Matthew, everybody's here. Let's see, what happened? Hey, I got back into cycling. That's kind of new. I was oh, trying did you to do that? Out. Yeah. Oh, you so, did Michigan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and, um, so I hadn't been riding, all right? Just give you a little background. Remember everybody making a big deal out of that, me riding bikes, right? Ride, rode 2,400 miles in 2017 with Jimmy Johnson and a bunch of other guys. And each year after that, 18 and 19, this year I haven't rode hardly at all. Uh, but I am got back after it for whatever reason. I had I logged, uh, let's see, about four, 50 miles this week. Who'd you ride with? Well, I rode 20 of those Saturday with Latart. Oh, so Latart's back on. Latart, yeah, Latart. I, me and I took Latart. I took mine and his bike to Michigan. He rode Saturday. I rode Friday twenty miles, and then Saturday twenty miles. Beautiful. Miss Michigan is beautiful. Yeah, is it? Because yes. I, I mean, I think you'd have to get on a bicycle there's, to really appreciate all the beauty around the track. There's all these uh, little lakes in Michigan. You gotcha. Yeah, little tiny lakes. We rode a uh, loop around this one lake called Round Lake, shaped circle. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the road's right on the right on the shore, and they got all these houses. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Dirty Dancing. Remember that little uh, <laughs> place where everybody went and hung out? Yeah. And that, sort yeah. of like this place where all the uh, people vacationed. It kind of has that feel, that vibe of uh, all those families, right? Where your mind goes sometimes is it's just fascinating to me. Okay. So you went, you went dirty dancing. So I got you. No, I'm yeah. tracking with you still. Keep it's, going. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of you know you ride around there and you just imagine yourself uh, spending time there with your family. And there they they um, one of the best things about it is so the road is right on the shore. The houses are on one side of the road. Obviously, the lake is on the other side and the docks. And so yeah. everybody will walk out of their house across the street onto the dock and they sit on the dock. They have their boats on the dock. Uh, so sometimes they're sitting on their boat. Sometimes they're sitting on the dock, but that's, that's, that's a thing. Yeah. Dock, dock sitting all yeah. day. Yeah, dude, it sounds awesome. I know it. I know. Did, so did you see these people and did you, did you, uh, I saw them wave? and wished I was uh, doing what did, they were doing. Every time I've seen you, I remember we used to leave the track in Michigan. It was a very specific memory where you were like, I wish I was them. I would be doing exactly what they're doing. We would leave the track. They'd be out in their front yards. Yeah. Drinking beer, having a good time. So that Michigan is good for that, yeah. like people watching. And then I imagined that it's frozen solid in the wintertime and yeah. uh, snow and all that. So I, I, I can't imagine that beautiful lake uh, with that scenic, that scenic sort of, you know, uh, dirty dancing, <laughs> vacation-esque atmosphere going on, and then it just being this cold, freezing, yeah. windy, frozen tundra. Yeah, you ain't gonna find During my ass out there in the winter. Man, what a dis- what a dis- you know extreme. Okay, so wait a second. Did you still have it? I mean, like, was it just like uh, just get back on that bike? Just still? Oh m- no, I'm just so slow. So okay, um, yeah, way slow. So uh, I think I, my best average, if I'm you know, we I, I get all the data when we ride. We get miles an hour and and watts, which is the force of you pedaling through the crank. I got all this data, right? So I can understand what I was doing in 2017 when I was at my peak. Uh, I think the best, fastest ride I had was about a 19 and a half average mm-hmm. miles an hour in Phoenix at the end of 2017. Been riding all year, getting stronger and stronger, faster and faster. And I'm back, I'm down to like 16 and a half, 16 mile an hour average, way mm-hmm. down. Yeah. So got to 
Got a ways to go to get back. That's look, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Get out there. Get out there, do a little, uh, do a little I, riding. I may, I, I spent so much money on bikes. I, I know. I can't not ride more. <laughs> I gotta ride. I gotta ride. Uh, you know, more miles. Um, you know, the other thing I heard that was weird. We, I was, was hoping we'd get more information on this, but did you know that? I don't even remember where I saw this. I can't even remember where I saw it. Maybe it was social media, but Vince Neil. All right, the singer. Yes, yeah, the lead singer, Vince Neil, raced in the Indy Lights. Wow, that's like just a step like, above. Not just step, once, step. like four races. Yeah, man. I think he was in the Say No to Drugs car, which is even more. Cool. That's ironic. ironic. <laughs> that is very ironic. He ran four Indy Lights races, and and you got more of there, Matt. Yeah, he had four Indy Light races. Uh, his best finish was tenth in a thirteen car field at the Milwaukee Mile. Raced at Phoenix, Long Beach, Portland, in the PIG Pig. Pig number sixty nine. Uh, of course, it was number sixty nine. Personal investment. Personal investment group was Pig. So basically, it was just some you know just funded deal. Goodness gracious! Pig number sixty nine. Say, say no to drugs. Which say no to drugs. Uh, supposedly, he kept clean during this because he was really Boy, serious about to. wanting to get to IndyCar. He want, his dream was to run the Indy five hundred. What? And during this process, it was rumored that when Motley Crue broke up, which was about the same time, it was right? about the same time that this interest in racing took away from his interest in music, and mm. the team, uh, you know, the excuse me, the team, the the group fired him. That's right. Uh, in an interview, Vince Neil once said that that was not the case; that it was that musically they were going in different ways, and it was amicable. Uh, but his career in, in the race car went, and then uh, Motley Crue got back together and happily ever after. Incredible. You know what? Vince Neil strikes me as the kind of guy that wakes up every morning and bases every decision on whether or not he will get laid by this decision. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know this is where that was going. Well, I'm saying is that I think that that, you know, why would Vince Neil be into racing? And I think that everything goes back to probably answering that question. Better chance, you know, in that time, you know, Motley Crue, hey, if he got fired from his band, you got to find another reason, you know, get, get maybe a racetrack or give, you know, I, who knows? I just, he strikes me as that kind of guy. Yep. Otherwise, you, you go, what, there was certainly no passion. Everybody wants to be an Indy 500. But where, why else would Vince Neil go do that? Well, he said that he, I mean, he did do those pro-am races at Long Beach and all that. Oh, I guess yeah. the guy loved doing it, and he still did those That's pro-am celebrity. races for, for a while. Celebrity races. Celebrity races. races. Like get Matt- some, gets them celebrities every time. They have <laughs> celebrity races. Hey, celebrities that are running the celebrity races don't don't get tricked into believing that they're good. They think got a they can do it. in racing. Listen, that's a good point. A lot of those cele- you know, you have those celebrities that uh, go try to do twenty four hours of Daytona, like uh, the dude in nine zero two one zero, and um, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jason yeah. Priestley. Jason yeah. Priestley. And, 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 he raced a lot of Indy Lights. Did. Lot, yeah. Race, yeah. Got a bad injury, yeah. bad crash. That's right. That's that. right. But I bet that. you're. I think those celebrity races are the ones that where they get the bug. I bet it is. Yeah. Got Vince Neil. Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey. Hey, well, who you know? Who put it? Put the work in. Patrick put the work in. Hey, Paul, he full, was probably of all the celebrities, Steve he Mc- might have been the mo- most legit, right? No, Paul Newman. Oh, Newman. all right, exactly. yeah. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman—they're they're in their own category. Decent, Got it. Yeah. And I'll say, Paul Newman. What was cool about him is he—he he sucked at first. Yeah. But he hung out in the pits with the guys, you know, with the racers, and they all grew. Any racer you talk about, uh, you know, Newman, he literally 
became a damn racer. Yeah. He wasn't just going there for the glitz and the glam. He wanted yeah. to race cars. Yep. Yeah. Well, so Vince I am Neal. only saying that as, you know, for the celebrities that are uh, doing celebrity races, don't get that, don't get the bug. <laughs> only trying to save them a little heartbreak and a lot of money. That's true. You know what I mean? It's expensive. It is very expensive. Yeah. Well, there you go. Vince Neal, four race career, Indy Lights. Yeah. That ain't no joke. That ain't no uh, weekend match race at the short track. Indy Lights is legit. Four more races than I ever drove it in any lights. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. for him. Hey, I got a question, guys. Yeah. You can cut this out. We've never talked about it, and I'm, there, maybe there's a reason, Dale. But the Racing Wives show. Oh, God. How have we not talked about this? I know. We oh. should. Let's talk about should it. Should we? I, um, I watched the uh, second episode I last night. To. I have to. I watched it last night. Um, I uh... <laughs> Look at his face. Zoom in on that one. All right, so here, <laughs> here's my honest, honest, honest opinion. Yeah, yeah this right? is just honest. And I'm going I'm I'm uh, so there was a point in the show last night where I was entertained, and it was Muriel and Whitney. Dylan, Whitney. Uh, they're great. I agree. I, and they are fun, real, authentic. I agree. Um, it is who they are. Uh, so that's, I enjoy that when they're on, um, Kurt's wife is real authentic. I, mm. yeah. Okay. I mean, she's, she's, I'm curious, you know, as to what, what the storyline is going to be with her and how that's going to develop. And there's that little, obviously in the second episode last night with a little bit of a rift between Muriel and her and don't know where that's going to end up going. They left us hanging on they the edge of the cliff. A, yeah, they did. Um, so. That was hysterical. The dinner party. Yes. Oh, my. All right. So, so you were entertained. Um, it was good. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, like, um, I'm not quite uh, hooked on Samantha's sort of position and what she's got going on. I'm not, not, not that curious about the female driver and what's going to happen to her. Um, more Whitney and Muriel and what, what they're, they, they just seem to be the, uh, the, the, I don't know how to explain it, but. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You did explain it. Listen, and I don't know any of these people, to be honest with you. And, uh, I certainly didn't know Muriel is the one I like on this. Yeah. I like her a lot. I, I mean, I felt like she was genuine. Yeah. The rest of them, including Whitney. Is that her name? Yep. Dylan. Whitney Dylan. Yeah. I'm not really sold on the fact that that's who they are generally. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah. Um, but but I knew for a fact that Muriel's is like that's that's really her. Um, the rest of it, I felt like it probably was too made for TV. Yeah. And it's and that dinner party oh. fight. Uh, that dinner party fight. I, did that feel like that was a natural? Uh, I, I don't know what's scripted and what's not, and right. I don't. And maybe the maybe there is no real. Beef. Riff, beef, or confusion. But I think Muriel to put herself out there and say, hey, man, you know, I don't feel like I fit in uh, the, is a real oh, emotion. It, it is real because, and, honestly, like, we, I feel that when we go to these events and stuff like that. And, Dale, yeah. like, you know, you and I go to, you know, Japan. I mean, not Japan, South yeah. Korea, or when we go to the Country Music Awards and stuff, and it's like – yeah. God, this is awkward as hell, yeah. you know, because, you know, even you might feel awkward that you don't fit into something. Yeah. Um, I, that was, that's for real. Yeah. I, I, I sense her pain on that. Yeah. I think, fa- uh, you know, Kurt's, Kurt's wife is fascinating for her background uh, and, and how they got together. Yeah, I'm just curious, 
you know, as to as to who the, she is, and 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 curious to learn more about her as the show goes on. Uh, but yeah, Whitney and Muriel are a trip. Why, are a why trip. is that driver on there? Who the driver? Amber oh, the girl. Amber, well, what yeah. what is that? Why is I she even know. on it? I don't know. And and uh, you know her. Noah kind of got her in trouble. So, that was hysterical, was, by the way. That, that was, was the most staged. Noah Gregson. Yeah. I was talked it? to Noah about this this morning. It's real. He was in here this morning, and he said that they told him to tell her to sit down. It was oh, awful. they staged it. They told him, like the producers. Yeah. Oh, oh but, do you, but do you think that the Samantha's reaction was staged? I don't know about that, but well, hey, I just know that Noah said All that right. he no, was told. I mean, it was a fair, it's an honest no, question. it's an honest question. Do, does milk go good with cereal? Oh, stop. <laughs> Look, stop. <laughs> do, do you think, so you think Samantha was completely, because you know what? That driver reminded me somebody we once knew. Oh, <laughs> What are you talking about? And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. So Noah, Noah wasn't here this morning because I was texting Dilner watching the show Friday night, and I saw Noah on there, and I was like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" And you know, he, he I'll say it the sh- if the show if the show makes it, it'll be because of Muriel, yeah, and Whitney, yes, Whitney especially, yeah. yeah. And so I think more Muriel, she's I, more relatable. She, I agree, Real. man. Yeah, she's yeah. So, but yeah, if it works or it goes beyond. This season, it'll be because of those two there. They're made for it. It, you know, I've I'm not a freaking prof- <laughs> I'm not a professional at, at watching the housewife shows and all that. But I've know. seen my share. Yeah, and you know, it's a, obvious what's what works out there in that sort of demographic and that field, and and what doesn't. And we've we've seen the shows that make it and the shows that fail. They've tried housewives shows everywhere, uh, and some last and some don't. Um, but yeah, I. I it's them trying to spray tan thing and her going in there and washing it off and all that. That, <laughs> that was, was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. Yeah. You know what it is? Uh, the, the thing about Samantha yeah. that I have a problem with is that in the show that they, they are making her out to be sort of like this, you know, I don't know, um, you know, the, the, the powerful, the power queen of NASCAR wives and everything else. And I'm thinking that's, uh, that's Shani Johnson or, uh, you know, that there's, that, that's, there's a lot, even Delana or whatever, like Samantha, they were talking talk about Samantha, has a lot of power in NASCAR, and she's not scared to use it. And I was just kind of like not buying all that. That well, was I just think me. those are just fed lines. They're sitting there doing these little uh, these interviews, and you know, and just they're just trying to get sound bites for particular gotcha. particular things. So, uh, take that stuff kind of with a grain of salt when when they're doing those interview styles. You know, when that when the interview style part of the show comes on, where it's them in a in in front of a green screen or whatever. I'm not that interested in that. But what's fascinating to me, I'd, I'd like to see more of the drivers, like Austin and, and the interaction they have with each other, you know. Right. Like Ma- when Kyle maybe. when Kyle compared himself to Pee Wee Herman on the first episode. <laughs> that, like, that was great. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was we great. That was pretty that. good. I'm going to tell you, the, the, I would think that uh, they need uh, some additional wives and drivers because, yeah. man, yeah. there ain't nobody in this planet more awkward than the Bush brothers. Especially when they're together. Yeah. I mean, the conversation with Kurt Bush and his wife was so weird, man. Like, oh, it's, they, like the not the. It's not. It was. It that was a staged conversation. Of I, course it was, yeah. but I have a feeling that's what any conversation with Kurt Bush is like. Yeah. Dale, would you like to putt? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Would you like to would go putt like, right now? Would you like to lose? I'd like to. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to beat you, Dale. They had a conversation as if they had just met each other, like literally that had just met each other. That's not a big fan of the show. 
No, I'll watch it. <laughs> it's like driving by a car wreck. You're going to look. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That Shows like that would drive him crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I enjoy it. It's a good, you know, good way to unwind all on right, a Friday right. night. <laughs> well, all right. I just wanted to ask right. Dale. I, I didn't know. So if the, I think the reason why I think I like uh, Muriel is because they we, we've seen so much more of her relationship. Right. Right, and and I, we don't see enough of uh, Austin or Kurt and definitely and Kyle. I think in the show, well, I'd like to see more of that, uh, and and not the sort of planned, uh, scripted parts, but more real. Like, what's going on? What's what's their lives like? Yeah. yeah. Ten four. All right. Wait, listen. We ought to have a weekly uh, segment of review of uh, oh. racing wise. Well, <laughs> we will if fans. <laughs> if that's what the fans want. That's right. Let us know. I've been a partner with PepsiCo for more than a decade, man, but I've been a Mountain Dew drinker my whole life. In partnership with Mountain Dew, I'm going to give some employees DTO, which is due time off. And to make it even more special, I'm also throwing in $1,000 so they can pursue their passion. My name is Jeff Milton. I've worked at JR Motorsports uh, over 10 years. I'm Dale's uh, Director of Flight Operations, just another way of saying his pilot. I would say that we're away from home uh, over 100 days out of the year. Okay, Jeff Melton, he's my pilot. And he's coming in here to Junior Motorsports for what he thinks is a meeting with Kelly. But we just called him down to the Dirty Mo Media Studio. He has no idea what's going on. We're going to surprise him with some DTO. Jeff, come here for a second. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's good. How you doing? Do you know why you're here? I have no clue why I'm here. You know. When you get that kind of relationship with somebody, there's a lot of things that kind of come and go and change in life. But but when you make when you get that kind of comfort and trust and 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 safety and and all that professionalism, you do everything you can to retain it and keep it and take care of it, nurture it. Are you nervous? Uh, yes. Have you ever been on podcast before? Never. Never. Well, I'm doing an interview for the download, um, and I I want you to, to I want you to describe your employment at Junior Motorsports. So, how long have you worked for us? Uh, this October will be uh, 14 years. How long have you been a pilot? You're you're ex-military. So I I actually sat in the back of the airplane in the Navy. Uh, it was a P3 Orion. It was a big four-engine turboprop, too big to go on an aircraft carrier. Uh, we did a. Uh, Surface surveillance, anti. Did you know how to fly it though? At that time, no. No, I mean they would let you when you transit. They would let you uh, go up there and sit in the seat and just you know fly it some. Yeah. But then uh, I got out and used the GI Bill and went to a, uh, a flight school in Greensboro. I was in Navy from '89 to '94. Yeah. And finished all my uh, pilot training in '96. Uh, Started flying as a flight instructor uh, just to build time. Then I uh, got hired. Uh, with a uh, company called Mountain Air Cargo, went to Krispy Kreme Donuts in Winston-Salem, uh, flew there for four years. So then I came here after that. Yeah, Krispy Kreme Donuts. Yes, yes. Did you have a lot of donuts on the We plane? would go by and uh, pick up uh, donuts uh, at the store in Winston and take it to where we were going. You'd take it to the uh, <laughs> to the airport you'd go to, so the line guys were always happy to see you because we bring, <laughs> bring free donuts. Left engine fire. Right engine fire. Our pilot schedule is sort of all over the place and and even even though we have a plan as far as what i might be doing that year there's still a lot of things that drop in last minute there's a lot of last minute changes there's time changes you know so those guys have to be flexible willing to fly 
So give give me an understanding. So I was tr- I'm trying to help people understand how wacko our schedule is. Yes. So maybe you can explain it better than I can. You know, now that you've retired, you know, the first, you know, almost 13 years I flew for you, it was every race, every weekend. Of course, not Charlotte or Martinsville, those close ones, but, uh, but it was a routine. You kind of knew you were leaving on Thursday or Friday morning and coming back Sunday uh, after the race. When you retired, it, we still have a schedule, but the first half of the year is not routine, you know, uh, but now that when you announce, it becomes routine. Jeff's the kind of guy that no matter where we fly to, he wants the plane to be there. I'll say, look, man, you, you can take us down there and, and go home, be with your family. And his intention and his preference is that the plane is there, so he will want to stay and have the plane there in case we should decide or have an emergency or any reason to leave. You always tell people that uh, to do to be a pilot for a, a private individual, uh, you have to live your life through their schedule. So I live my life through your schedule. Uh, you know, so I plan my, my life around around what you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I enjoy, uh, thoroughly enjoy what I do. I love to be able to tell him every opportunity I can how awesome it is to have him as an employee and how amazing he is. The only problem is I'm nervous he won't take the day off. Uh, but he doesn't want to take advantage or he doesn't want to take liberty. And so it'll, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see if he, if he actually takes me up on this. You're one of the most dedicated guys. I've told you a hundred yes, times well, how much of a dedicated employee you are and how um, thankful I am for uh, the job you do. Mountain Dew goes around and wants to help people that have a passion for something enjoy that passion mm-hmm. and, and by giving them some time off. And so they've came to us and they are allowing me to choose in, individuals uh, that work for us and that I believe are deserving uh, to be part of this campaign. So you're here today uh, sharing your story about your employment, and I want to be able to give you some DTOs, due time off. So you're going to get a day off of work. Okay. And I know that you probably won't take it. (laughs) Uh, You also get $1,000. Wow, well, thank you. Yes, and there's 1000 bucks in this envelope. Okay. And the reason why 1000 bucks is here because I I was wondering whether you would take the day off. Thank so if, now that you know what you're here for, yes, what are you going to do with that day off? And it's funny though, you know, I, I tell people uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So, <laughs> so, so I feel like every day is a day off. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thoroughly you know, enjoy what I do. Yeah, but yeah, probably take the wife. What off are your dinner. some of your passions outside of your work? Uh, other than my family, uh, I I really enjoy riding my road bike. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a good way to, to you know, stay in shape and, yeah. and just you know, mentally you can just you know, zone out when you're doing that. And I know that you, everywhere we go, you have your bike. Yes. And typically, so if we're vacationing even out of the country, yes, you'll you'll take your bike. And I'm kind of envious uh-huh. somewhat on those vacations um, yes. because I, even though I'm having a great time, yeah, yes. I'm on vacation. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I know what riding riding the roads is like. It's yes. pretty enjoyable. It is. So. It is. It's a great way to see the country. Exactly. Yes. Well, thank you, buddy. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I I appreciate you coming all the way over here and sitting down with us. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. In partnership with Mountain Dew, I'm going to give some of my employees DTO. That's due time off. Oh, and I'm also throwing in $1,000 so they can pursue their passion. It'll be fun. Stay tuned and do the do. Before we bring in our guest, 
who has a great history in our sport. I want to talk about something that I'm very interested in, my ancestry, my history. When you guys told me a while back that we had a new partner, I immediately text back with my excitement. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I love it. I've been working on my ancestry, my genealogy for I don't even know how long now. Years. Years. Yeah. You know, sometimes things just get so many years, you just stop counting. Yeah. Right? And so uh, recently, though, I paired it with my ancestry DNA, Mike. That's saliva. All right. So you send in, you know, you get this kit and you you spit into this tube and um, mail it right back in. It's uh, it, The thing comes basically already printed for... Uh, for the for the for the mail and, and it's real easy. You just spin in the tube, wrap it back up, put it back in the mailbox. They do all the work for you. When you tie that, when you connect your ancestry DNA kit to the tree that you've built, it really kind of makes your whole experience three dimensional. You start to see a lot of you know you learn a lot more about your ancestors and geographically where they came from, where they you know where they traveled to. It's sort of, I don't know, The before I had the Ancestry DNA, when I was just using the tree itself online, it was a it was very one-dimensional in your, you know, right there in front of you. But when you do the DNA, it sort of, it really makes it, brings it to life, really makes it real. The other thing that this does is it connects you to other people in the service, right, that have used this product. It connects you to them, like I'm learning about second, third, fourth cousins that I have around here that aren't in my tree. They aren't in the tree. I haven't I haven't added them to my tree or connected them to my family tree. But it'll tell me, like, hey, man, this guy Bob lives over here in Kannapolis is your third cousin. <laughs> and Bob will say, hey, Dale, we're cousins. I need some tickets. Um, no, he doesn't do that. That would not be pleasant. Bob says, you know what? I haven't made the connection of how we're cousins. And I haven't either. And then we start to do do that work. And you figure out, wow, man, that's, you know, it really is an eye-opener mm-hmm. about how many people are involved in, you know, and how connected this world is. Just how complex, you know, being related to somebody, your genealogy, how complex it is. It's so impressive. Ancestry helps you discover more about your ancestors telling you about their story. Within days, they're going to mail you a kit. It'll include the full instructions. You mail it back. It goes to their lab. It takes a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, it's a, it's a hell of a ride. Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from. They connect you to the places in the world where your story started by using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. They have over 100 million family trees and billions of historic family records. Billions. That's right. And that's going to help you look deeper into your own genealogy. It amplifies your results for a limited time. Now, through August 20th, go to Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. today to get your Ancestry DNA kit for $59. That's Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. It's $59. Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. Oh, there it's Harry. Oh, Harry's wow. here. Harry drives the Skull Bandit on the Grand National Racing Circuit, and he's one of the most popular and successful competitors in stock car racing. Stock car racing. Stock car racing.
21 years of age, you look fresh as a daisy. Well, I feel good, you know. I figured that's all I'm going to be doing. They just wear them out. They might be younger, but they like wear them out. By the time you cross the finish line with Harry, you'll be a winner, too. Take care, and remember, every time you get behind the wheel, drive to win. Drive to win. All right. Harry Gant in the studio. I'm excited about this. Harry, uh, I've known of you and, and uh, admired you all my life. Never really had a chance to sit down and talk to you too much. Um, so thank you for coming all this way. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Um, I got a lot of questions for you. What a career that you've had. The great thing I think about, not only do we get to interview uh, legends like yourself, man, but we, we, we get to study about you on preparing for this show. And, you know, we learned so much more than we, than we thought we knew about you. I didn't know that you raced dirt at Hickory. I thought when, when you went to run at Hickory, it was a paved racetrack. But you, you and some friends built a hobby stock car and shared the car, like alternated on who drove it. And that's how you got started in racing? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I built a car uh, a, year, uh, a year or so before that to go run Hickory. And uh, they had open house practice, and I got over there with it, and it blowed a head gasket. So I just put it on the table for a while. But anyway, the, uh, some people I went to school with, uh, Stony Point, and they were building a race car. So I'd go down and help them, and I could share the ride. Yeah. And then eventually you know, drive it the whole time. Yeah, so you ended up being the best driver out of the group? Well, I wouldn't say that. They, uh, <laughs> what, what it done, uh, you know, we shared back and forth, and we didn't get over to mid-season anyway. And so the next season in uh, 65, I was to drive it all the way because he bought a late model. Oh, he moved up. Yeah, fast yeah. back 63 Ford. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, I drove it that year and won the championship, and you move you up to the late model division. So that's how I ended up, you know. How did you guys decide who got to drive when you guys were starting out? Was it just uh, alternating it, or did you draw straws? I mean, what would you do? <laughs> well, i tell you the truth. When we got it done, the first race, I never raced on the track. And, and Benny, the boy with Benny Curley, he hadn't either. He said, so we pulled in the racetrack. And they were out there throwing mud everywhere, you know, Tilly and them boys up there. And so we get in there, and uh, he said, you want to drive? I said, no, you go ahead and drive. Well, won't you drive? I said, you drive. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't, they couldn't find a, a driver. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Benny drove it, you know, then, then I drove it. Like Benny Curley, I've heard that name many times. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's, uh, t- what, tell me about Benny Curley. What was his deal? Benny Curley's, uh, i tell you the truth, we were like factory-backed. His daddy had a big junkyard there in Stony Point. And uh, anything you need was out there in the junkyard. Yeah. You know, so uh, – and his daddy, you know, worked on cars and everything in there. And Benny did, too. Benny always did. Benny always had a fast car on the road and things. I've heard that name a time and time again. He, uh, I think there were several generations of that family raced. Yeah, he, uh, John, his son raced some he, over at Nashville around, yeah. Yeah, I think I might have ran into a few of those guys a few times. Not on the track, but um, <laughs> you won the track championship on dirt. And then Ned Jarrett comes into Hickory and, as a promoter and paved the track. Were you excited about them paving the track? I was. See, uh, what it was, I, uh, when they moved me up to, to the late model, uh, I had to either quit or get a car, you know. So a friend of mine over there, Elmer Keyens, uh, Keyens Hardware Mill, they, mm-hmm. he had a car, and they had changed the rule of where you could go up to the late, uh, late model cars, you know, like 63 uh, Pontiacs. And he, he had built a, a 60 Pontiac, and then he was building the second one. But he had a 57 Chevrolet, a good car. And so anyway, I was... Uh, I'd see him a lot, and I'd 
building houses there all the time too. So I'd go out and in there. And anyway, I I got to do something. I was hoping I'd get to drive one of them Pontiacs, but it was already laid out for the guy to drive it. So I said, "Well, you want to sell that fifty seven? He said, "Yeah." Sold to me for five hundred dollars. Really? I mean, race ready. Really? Yeah, and a uh, whole truckload of parts and because everything cleaning out of that. Uh, and he had it in the basement of his house at the time that car. Then he had a big garage out back. But anyway, yeah, we started on dirt. And uh, the first time I drove the car, I tell you, it's okay. The first time I drove it, uh, Hickory was closing and finishing up. And so we went to Antioch Speedway, which is up about Lenore, and it's in the mountain, the back stretches. Uh, they cut it off and put the track down here and took that dirt and put it over here in the turns into the creek in the middle. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> they up there and run it. And uh, I think I fin- that's the first time I drove a V8. And then the V8 uh, the rule, it was Hickory Speedway, 292 cubic inch. Because the promoter at the time wanted to be sure and have 12 to 14 cars there on Friday night. So you really couldn't. If you went to race somewhere else, you get a handicap. You, you can run, you know, 327s. Yeah. So uh, anyway... We go up there, and then uh, uh, I know you're probably remember Speedway here, Starlight Speedway, yeah. Monroe. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have a big race down there. So I load that thing up in a dump truck, and that's the second race I was going to go. And I went down there to Starlight Speedway. Pete Keller was the announcer, you know, the mouth of the South there. Yeah. And we pull, I pulled in there, and uh, Ralph was there. Ralph Earnhardt. Really? Oh, Ralph Earnhardt, Tiny Lund, Tom Pistone, Leroy Yarber. Man, all they all up here, you know, <laughs> two hundred yeah. lap, two hundred lap race. Yeah, and uh, I just hadn't hardly got to it. used to that dirt. I mean, the dirt, I got used to dirt a long time ago, right. but still, in a race car, at a racetrack, that's my second track I was on. And uh, so you know, we went out there and, and run seemed like forever. And so the race is over. The first race I, I've run in up there at uh, Antioch, I won seventy five dollars. And then I went to Monroe, and I finished fifth, I think, and I got a hundred about $175. Yeah. Well, I'm getting that 500 back pretty quick, you know. Mm-hmm. So. But anyway, getting on the door right here, he, uh, and then the 66 we run, and then 67 started off on dirt on 4th of July. Ned Jarrett uh, was a promoter, and he paved the track. Uh. You might have – so you would have – you ran Ralph at Monroe that night or that day, did you see him at the track or race against him oh, on yeah. a regular basis? Yeah, yeah, a, a lot, really. I had no idea that you had any laps with, with Ralph Earnhardt. Well, uh, whenever they started off the new season there, even with Ned, it was still dirt, I say. Okay, the last race that they were going to run before they paved it, uh, about a 250 lapper. Well, I still had the 292 cubic inch motor. Well, he put up a deal with a few of the first – finisher with the two, local track engine 292 you get a thousand dollar wow bonus yeah well your daddy won the race ralph and he was in a chevelle and uh i think it was uh, it was not a 57 i had about the only 57 running and i finished second so i get like uh, 1200 dollars for second and a thousand dollars nice yeah. oh wow <laughs> you, can buy, nice. you can buy two cars for that back then yeah yeah <laughs> What did you think? I mean, that, you know, Ralph was highly respected as a dirt track driver in that in that time. Did I mean? Do you look back on it now? And and I know you raced a lot of you know a lot of greats, uh, Tiny Lund and all kinds of guys. Uh, but do you look back and uh, fondly about racing Ralph those times? Yeah, uh, you know, especially Starlight. Uh, 
you know, they were all ganged up over here around Fat to Floor. And I'm just walking around looking. I mean, I didn't see that many drivers in my life yeah. out of Winston Cup coming down here with the Grand National. Then. Yeah, he uh, he was telling about being wrecked somewhere or another. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were all telling that. <laughs> but but uh, to tell you the truth, I was down there, you know, to race and make yeah. a little money. And really, they were there, except for Ralph, they were tiny and them was there from fun. They were running the Grand right. National. Yeah. More, <laughs> right. They was more slides than you ever seen in your life out there that night. You know, it's just right? three wide. Yeah. Is that the race you said you finished fifth in, though? Yeah. You finished fifth in that race? Yeah. Oh, man. So, Ned Jarrett paved the track in 67, and the rumor or the story is that you won the first sportsman race on the new asphalt. I, I guess so. I don't really remember. Yeah. You know, it, you, uh, you took the asphalt yeah. pretty good. Yeah, because I didn't do dirt that long. So, you know, it, uh, a lot of the boys that been there a long time, uh, I was really surprised one over there, you know, and, uh, man, I, it done good. I just uh, took me a while to remember. You can't go fast spinning wheels. Right. That, yeah. That's what you – dirt, you know, you do. And But uh, asphalt, it uh, – uh, we were running asphalt, and when I first run there, I run uh, uh, Jack Ingham, Roy Trantham come down there. And they were winning all the asphalt races, and Jack had a brother named Tom. And uh, Tom, Jack won, run, won a race down there one night, and Tom run second, and I run third. And I'd spin the wheels because he'd come back next week, same deal. And so Tom comes over to him, and he said, if you didn't spin the wheels, you could probably finish second. Mm. <laughs> yeah. When he first started, see, it was our local drivers, but then – once it got asphalt, you had the more, ash, more folks coming. Asphalt speedway, yeah. yeah, a lot of asphalt. I didn't tracks. know Jack had a brother that raced. Yeah, uh, he he got into uh, Winston Cup a little bit on the big Dodge deal. Brooks, Dick Brooks, come mm -hmm. here from California, and uh, at this time they were building my motors up there at Asheville. He and uh, uh, Tom and uh, and uh, uh, Ben Barnes, and so I go up there one day and here's this big hauler truck with a Dodge Charger on the back of that thing. At Dick Brooks, and I said, "Man, what a deal!" And I climbed up there and I looked down in that in that car there. And it had a little bag there with his uniform, I assume, in it. It had two helmets. I've never seen a race car driver that had two helmets. <laughs> this big deal. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, how important, I guess, was Ned Jarrett to your career getting started? He was very important. See, we ran over and won, and I guess it was Golly uh, Martin. It was a uh, I can't think of long about when. Okay, it was 73, and uh, I won the state championship and the track championship and a whole bunch of stuff at that a banquet we had. Yeah. And uh, it was in October, so when I was leaving, he calls me over to the side, and he said, uh, you want to drive a Winston Cup car at Charlotte? And I, I never was that much interested in. How come? Well, i tell you the truth. You didn't make any money. Really? Driving them cars. Huh? I mean, you look in the – you should give you a book with how much people had won. Yeah. You know, in a career there. And uh, I was doing really good in running the sportsman car. I mean, you know, went on to be the Infinity Series, you know. But uh, it was a whole lot – uh, not as much travel, even though it was. It just wasn't going out much at a race, one racetrack, you know. You right. Know, we go to Nashville, Knoxville, all them places. That's just sort of way it set with me. I had a good business, you know. I was building houses and all, and I could still do that. And it wasn't that good, though. You know, you go to Columbia Thursday night and get home in time to go to work. Then Friday you go to Iceland and get home in time to go to work. <laughs> then Hickory. Then Sunday big races, you know. But uh, it uh, that's kind of the way it got going. Ned called me over and uh, 
I said, okay, and I'll go down to Charlotte. He said, you come down. First, before I answered the question, I had to think, was any place I could run that weekend that would be be better? And that seemed to be the best deal. So I went down and, and practiced. Junior brought it up there, Trino, Trucksmore. Yep. He brought that car up there. Junior Donlevy. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, I'd, I'd seen Junior not much around. I went to all the races I could. Oh, you did? You went to cup races just oh, watching? Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, so anyway, we was uh, – out there, and he said, told me to go out there and, and shake it down and give me a hot lap and cut it clean. Well, I'm the only car there at Speedway, and, you know, I've never been on that Speedway. I've seen the very first race there, but I – and so anyway, I go out there, and I'm used to turning 8,000, you know. So I'm out there purring around that big old 429 motor, and I run about six, eight laps around there, you know. And uh, so uh, I'm going to give him that hard lap. They had to sign up, you know, one more lap. It didn't have radio. The sign, yeah. So I might say, damn me, I'm turning there at 72. That's all it would turn, you know. That's what they turned them big motors, you know. <laughs> so I was going a lot faster than it than I thought I was going. I was almost flat out nearly. And really? Uh, so I come in, and the boy helps him. Jenny used to cut these crook cigars in half mm-hmm. and chew them. <laughs> and then my, I mean, you know. And so anyway, this boy comes over and he said, well, Harry, I'll tell you one thing. When you shake it down, you shake it down. So, uh, no, he told me, he said, the big guy, he said, uh, Jenny a little upset. Wow. You know, and he said, you could have wrecked a car out there, and we like to see before you hold it wide open. I said, I didn't know I was holding it wide open. I'd let off the turns, you know, but I wasn't hardly on the floor, it didn't seem like. So Jenny comes out and squats down and looks in there at the tack, looked at me chewing that cigar, well, I can say one thing, Harry. When you shake it down, you shake it down. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd done get knocked out of that right. ride, you know. So let me ask you this. You drove cars. So the best, so 1985 or 89, any of those years, what did this car drive like compared to some of the newer, more modern cup cars that you drove? What was, tell, tell I've been, I'm most curious myself about what, the 1970s were like what the cars drove like how they felt compared to what i'm used to today so what did that car drive like you say you could almost hold it flat foot around there it turned 7200 rpms how did it handle drive was it was it floating across the racetrack because those things was way off the ground <laughs> well no it wasn't but i'll tell you the reason why the speed was not as great yeah you know is uh, it's it pretty worked. comfortable oh yeah yeah it was, really yeah but i found out a lot different when they're out there with 43 race cars yeah. drives different <laughs> yeah and uh but still it's about like when i finish racing it's all about the same in there really yeah that's crazy you but I, I, he, i'll tell you one little short thing here though we uh junie we finished them 11th was it 11th. yeah okay. good finished 11th and uh, so anyway uh i liked it so uh, he called me back he said we're gonna run north wilkesburg mm-hmm. so you go to north wilkesburg and uh you know, Jenny would use used tires, you know. So we went to Wilkesburg and, and run really good. Uh, uh, I run real high. They had guardrails in, you know, you could get up there high. Right on the fence. Without the junk, yeah. you know. And so anyway, we finished. Uh, so let me ask you a question real quick. You, t- you, said, you said that they had guardrails there. Was it, was And was the reason you could get high is because the marbles went through the guardrail? Yeah. And the track oh. clean, clean. Yeah. I never thought about that that's interesting i watched this race at north wiltsboro uh where richard petty's racing with bobby isaac and it's 71 or so they recorded this race and and they are running the wall in the corners high 
And I never wondered, like, how did they how did they do it on a short track, right? How did it not stay dirty up there? But I never thought about the guardrail and the dirt flying through it. There's yeah, holes. It goes right through it. Holy crap. And, uh, there's one more track that uh, Dover. Mm-hmm. Dover used to have boiler plate. Yeah. But it was up about 10 inches. So there's the, a hole under it. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's crazy. And you could ride right again it. But you was running at Wilkesboro. Yeah. We uh, we run Wilkesboro. I finished. Uh, Ninth. Well, yep. And so then – I got. I'm gonna win this race. Hickory's gonna run, you know. So he comes to Hickory, and I got it in the bag, you know. Hickory. So anyway, he brings a Mercury Marauder. Oh, I steal no. that truck. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was 25 feet long. And uh, <laughs> uh, I said, "Where's the where's the uh, the forward, the little and forward?" He said, "Ah, sir, this is our short this is our short track car here." <laughs> Over Junior says that you know. So anyway, we qualified uh, outside pole, and. Uh, I believe Buddy Baker driving a K&K Dodge was on the pole. Mm-hmm. But Buddy didn't run short tracks, you know, much. And uh, But Hickory's our home track, so you know where the sweet spots was at, you know, where you wanted to sit. And so we they threw the green. But Hickory always had a problem when it rained. The back stretch would come across, water would run across. And so if we was going to test over there, we would take a sack, you know, and dry that off, and we could test and so it rained, and that was running. It didn't get all dry. And so we're running out there, and we'd run, I don't know, five, eight, ten laps maybe. And Buddy's leading the race, and I'm running second. And he's about going any, everywhere you go but the right place in the turns. But here we've got these big old monster cars. And I was sort of getting a good place. And so I'd drop on him up the bike stretch, and I crossed that water in that in the same way. Had big block 429, and his wheel was spinning every time you crossed it. And that thing... Broke Dr. Drive shaft and everything. That <laughs> gear lever flew around, hit me in the leg. Really? Yeah. So, you know, here we're going to get to win a race, you know, the yeah. third race you won, run. And uh, didn't happen, though. Well, it broke the, all the, broke yeah. the drive shaft and the drive line out of it. Yeah. Let, let me ask you something. I, go back to his the question about uh, Ned Jarrett being influential. Well, I don't, maybe I missed it. Why did he pick you? And what was the situation that opened up that car for you in the first place? When, and and what, what was Ned's role in that? Well, uh, what it was, we had our banquet, and, uh, you know, I'd won like five trophies there that night. And so I just walking out, and he just called me over to the side and asked me I want to do that. Well, at the time, it, that car was available. Yeah. You know, Junie's for different drivers. Junie ran okay. a lot of different guys in his cars. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was the guys like Bill Dennis and, mm-hmm. and Harry and people that were really, really succeeding on the short track level. I got and you. so yeah. Ned, Ned would have been – you know, hey, Junie probably would go to Ned even maybe and say, hey, who, you who should I put in here? Right. You know, and also the, you know, Humpy Wheeler and guys like that would put a little money behind oh, Junie's yeah. deals and to get a local star. Mm-hmm. Humpy at Sharpmere Speedway would, would often look around the region for a local star like Harry and put a little money into the car for Junie to put that driver in there. So you ran, uh, you won over 300 races with car builder Kenneth Sigmund. Uh-huh, yeah. And the Orange 77. Three national championships in the sportsman division from 72 to 74. Just do you, tell me about that time of your career, driving that Orange 77. It was an iconic car. I walked over to Ray Everham's shop the other day. He's got one sitting there in the garage, uh, painted up. It seemed like that car couldn't be beat. <laughs> it, and you it, ran that paint scheme all through the 70s in yeah. all the late model sportsman races you ran. Yeah, I did. I run it all those years. Uh, we started in a 57 Chevrolet, then we moved up to the – 
when they said, you know, we moved to the downsized cars, yeah. Chevelle and GTO, stuff like that. And so we all I'd done is cut the body off the 57, put a Chevelle body, because the 57 was out of the factory, probably the best race car for racing there mm-hmm. was. And so we done that, and uh, then we built Chevelle. We raced it just constantly all through the years there, but then we moved up to the Novas, Chevy Novas. Yep. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I sold Dale uh, uh, at Chevelle. <laughs> I had you did. Yeah, I done every, what money I made, I just kept it in the racing, so we had good years, and so I'd build a car. So we built another Chevelle. We had 264 Chevelles. What, did Dad call you up or what? Yeah. that car? Yeah. Uh, him or his brother one called me up yeah, and randy yeah Rand, they come up there uh your mother and and the brothers <laughs> I mean, you know they all come up there together all three of them out <laughs> the house and, but we had a, a really really fast cars uh uh the the chevelle i'd won 45 races in that in that chevelle and i built this new one and so what we'd do we'd run the new one at columbia on thursday night and the other other chevelle at Asheville on friday night and then hickory and the other and, on, and then Sunday with the the one or so Earnhardt. Well, uh, over Nashville, Tennessee, they run four or five hundred laps. You know, Marty Robbins, five hundred, all that right. stuff there. So, yeah, we'd won a race over there in that car, but uh, I hadn't run it long and had forty five wins in it. And I had uh, the new one. We had like uh, at the time we had uh, nine in a row mm. <laughs> at Hickory, and so Dang. I'm up at uh, Asheville picking up an engine, and uh, they're gonna run a regular w- weekly race when they'd put bounty you know i was uh, going to ask you if you got a bounty after nine <laughs> yeah. in a row i'd say you have to right <laughs> well uh, what it was i kind of approached him with the idea if they don't come and if they don't beat me i should get this up to three hundred dollars that's the same thing right. dave marcus said last week just last week a, we just had him in here and he was talking about a bounty they had on him in wisconsin and he was mad because the promoter wouldn't give him the money if right. he won the race he yeah. said well you're gonna pay these guys give it to me yeah, that's we used to be kind of the deal, you know. So I wasn't getting no money, but still, I wanted to. Uh, Roy Tranum had nine in a row over there, and so anyway, I was picking up an engine, get a phone call, and a guy from we called it Lonesome Pine Speedway then, yep. up eighty one up there, and uh, he said, "Listen, I need you to come up here and run Saturday night." Uh, Jack Ingram has killed my crowd up here, you <laughs> know, and I ne- I had I missed him. I didn't know where he'd been the last few weeks, you know. So anyway, uh, you know, he offered me some money to come up there to run. And uh, I said, no, I'm going to run Hickory. I'm going to try to win another race here. And so he back and forth. So I counter-offered him, you know. He said, well, what if you don't beat him? I said, I'll make a deal with you. If I don't beat him, you don't owe me nothing. If I beat him, you got to double what you give me there. Wow, hey, man. No problem, you know. So I go up there and win the race. You know, I kept went, and I went back next week and won. And so now I'm up to 10 races in a row with that car. Right. And so Butch was there and Jack and so and I'm probably not going to win that. And I was running third. And they go down the corner and we're all packed up. And they bump into each other and bounced up and they get the wall and the springs flew out of one of his cars. So it was <laughs> two laps to go. So I win, you know. And so then the next week I go up there. And me and Butch's dog, dog, we both run Firestones. Butch Lindley? Yeah. And, and we're side and side and side and side. And they take the white flag and we go down the corner and there's one car in front of us. Going that turn, and he, I think he saw me first, and just give me enough room to get on him. And Butch come around the outside, and he didn't know Butch there. He moves over, and, and hit, so he hit Butch, and he bounced off and got me a little bit sideways. Well, Butch comes flying across, off the wall, and hit me in the front end, and went up on my hood. Now we're going on the end of the fourth turn for the checkered flag, 
And so he's up on the hood of my car, so I slammed the brakes on it, slid off, and but the car barely would run around to the start finish line. Yeah. It mashed the air cleaner right down again the Choked carburetor. The Good grief. And <laughs> you win? Yeah, I, I ended up getting 14 in a row before it. Jeez. <laughs> but that was on 20 some different racetracks. All over. We run 28 racetracks, yes. what we run every year, different tracks, you know. Yeah. Who was your toughest competition? You were throwing out some names that you're racing against right here. My gosh, these weren't yeah. just some pushovers. I mean, and you're winning 14 in a row. Who who threatened that streak the most? Well, uh, back then, uh, you know, Red Farmer, he raced a lot of races. And uh, reason, one reason we kept what we've done, we started really traveling that, that uh, jumping a little forward here in July, we got a only thing we have is a speed sport, you know, Chris Connor Mackey's, and so we get one of them in June, uh, July there, and uh, here it said that we're second in the national point standards. Yeah. Oh, and on down so, through here it says if you run Firestone tires, you get a ten thousand dollar bonus if you the first finisher. Well, Red was way ahead; he'd run Daytona and all, so he's way ahead of us, and uh, but we could beat the other guy and get ten thousand dollars, and so we needed to to go to Talladega and so Talladega they boycotted it you know mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so they had to, but anyway I'm running Richmond Virginia on Wednesday night and this guy had a car for sale Ray Hendrick drove it that night a 66 Chevelle so he runs out he finished third in it and so that guy puts a sign for sale on it and so uh, I asked him what he wanted for it and five grand for it so I come back home and I tell Sigmund he said well why didn't you get it I said they didn't have five thousand dollars to get it he said, call him and get back up there. We take off back up there Monday night, and we got that car, and it had a 427 engine in it. Well, it had a 350, but a 427 with it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is like on Monday, and we got to get to Talladega that weekend coming up, you know. So we take it off down the house, and he had two gears, 310, and he had, uh, I think he had about 12 wheels. And so we take it back down and hustle around here and get our tires and everything all fixed, and we take off down to Talladega, put the 427 in. While we're there, though, they 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 were going to run an ARCA race to fill out the field. Yeah. So I go out there on the racetrack. This is the first time on anything bigger than anything then, you know. Yeah. It's before even short. It's 69, 1969. And so I went around that racetrack. I said, man, I've run 140, 50 down the highways, you know. But that racetrack wasn't like the highways. I could, boy. <laughs> and we didn't know how to set a car up. That's just the way we bought it. Just like it was. And it right. just got through running Richmond. So anyway, we I run around there, and I come in, and I, I faced to go, 145. Golly, Martin, it's going to spin out all the time. That track was rough, you know, through the turns. Mm, yeah. And uh, it, not knowing how to set it up didn't help nothing either. Yeah. So anyway, we messed with it a little bit and, and uh, went back out. One more practice session. You know, go back out, run 165. <laughs> I come in. And uh, Sonny Hutchins, he's a old driver way back in oh, Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Mm-hmm. I meet him through the pits. He's walking up through our chun chun gummy. Hey, how are you doing? Okay. How you run? No, I said, how are you running? He said, I ain't running worth nothing. I said, I'm running 192, and Tiny Lund's running 195, Hallman Moody cars, yeah. Starliners. And uh, I'm, I'm running 190, uh, he's running 195. I said, my grandma could do that. He said, how fast are you going? I said, 165. <laughs> he said, Gene, hold it wide open. I said, no, I can't. I'm about spinning out like it is. And, uh, so anyway, it's over with. Quali- we got to go qualify. Yeah. 
man, alive, I got in that car and qualified. I just thinking about it. I went out on the pitch, you know. Talladega, you know, the start line's way down there. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to where it was at really out there running. I asked coming in, wasn't running but two laps and coming in. And so anyway, I'm going down there and thinking about my going to run wide open or not around there. And I, first thing I know, I done a shot in that corner of the My foot was, leg was shaking like that, you know. Now I got to leave it down or I am going to spin out. They went to bouncing, bouncing around through there. So anyway, I come in and I qualified 186. That's pretty good. That's yeah, nice it, improvement. It was fifth, fifth in our in the sportsman 300 mile sportsman race. Well, anyway, they announced on the system where the first qualifiers for sportsmen could fill out the field in the ARCA and, race. Yeah. So that put us our speed was good, and so anyway, we run 300 mile sportsman race and uh, finished fifth. And uh, when you come in and change stars, it took forever. That old lug ring stuff, we had, but we always could come back up. But I used to draft a lot on motorcycles, and you, I knew what a draft was. Mm. And so uh, we got to the end of the 500 or the ARCA race. And right off the start, I got behind Buck Baker. And I know Buck always run good. He had this old jacked-up Dodge. I don't know what it was. It looked like a Wagon or something, but it was a 64 or something or a Dodge or mm. what it was. And I just fought him all day, all day. We put the 350 engine in it, and so I fought Buck all day, and he'd pit, and I'd pit. Then he'd be way ahead, and I'd catch back up and get motion for me to push him. And I didn't dare push him, you know, and I run. Anyhow, he ended up finishing sixth in the ARCA race. And uh, went into the gas pumps there, and Buck, he come walking back towards me, and I figured he's mad. He walked by, and he says, you drive that car? And I said, yeah. He just stared at me. He said, you know, if my old horse would have stumbled, we'd have both went. <laughs> <laughs> I just get right right to him all right. day, all day long. Man, that's crazy. Sounds scary. I mean, that's that's, that's like a scary weekend when you first time at Talladega. I, yeah, I was a little, it, that gave me anxiety. I know it made too. The story, right? Um, right. Talk, going back to uh, racing in the Sportsman Series in the seventies, there's a name I wanted to ask you about. What do you What do you think when I say the name Gary Hargett? Yeah, Gary, he he got your cars go your feet down at uh, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And uh what yeah, was Gary, Gary Hargett to you? Well, see, I had a, a car we'd built for Daytona for for the sportsman race, a seventy uh Chevelle. And uh, we almost got to run in the Winston Cup race at at uh, Hickory and uh, we run Firestone tires. So Firestone people sent enough tires and two tractor trailers to do the field. That's the rule. That was the rule, yeah. Yeah. And so myself and Tommy Houston was only two, had Firestone tires, and we both had Joel. <laughs> and we was out there pasting them like hobby cars <laughs> on them Firestone tires. Yeah. And so they they wasn't going to run. So Ned, he, he tried like everything. And so he got they, they called us up there, and they finally agreed to race, the drivers did, if we would put good years on. Oh, all the other drivers were boycotting because of your tires being so good. Yeah. And they said, all right, we'll race if you all put your mm -hmm. Firestones in the hauler. Yeah. So we put the good years, which was 88 and a half inches versus 82 inches. So we didn't have no gears, you know, so here we geared wrong. But we uh, we run. Uh, Bobby Allison was driving Junior's car, uh, Coca-Cola, Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but uh, I, Benny Parsons sat on the pole. And uh, I was on the outside pole. Uh, uh, a head boat come out. Nope. Water spewed everywhere, and I thought it blowed up, so I pulled in. But Tommy went on and finished second to Bobby Allison. You know, we, Tommy just sports a driver, too. Yep. But uh, Gurry, though, uh, he, he, he saw, I sold him that car. Okay. Yeah, and so anyway, I'm quitting. 
I'm quit racing. And, you were going to uh, quit why? racing? Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, my wife was getting tired of me being gone all the time. What you know? year was this? <laughs> when Gary come, I see it was in the 70s era. So, about, dang, you was going to quit racing? Yeah, yeah. I sold uh, sport, the other Chevelle I had yeah. to uh, a boy in Tennessee, and then Gary, that one there. Okay, we go to Myrtle Beach and had two kids. We go down there, and I'm, I was not happy at all. And so I just so happened I put my uniform in my helmet. You and your wife and your kids went to Myrtle Beach. Yeah. You moved there. No, no. Just oh, you went to vacation. vacation. Yeah. And okay. you're done You're done racing. I'm done racing. Went down there. And uh, we'd been there about two days, and it's Saturday. And I said, man, I'm sick of this place. And she said, well, just well go home. You're not having no fun down here. So we this come is hilarious. We get to uh, uh, Metrolada Speedway. Yeah. Okay. I said, I got to pull in here. What for? <laughs> <laughs> I went in. I pulled right in the garage area there where Gary was parked. And so anyway, I get out and old Gary, he's standing there. See, I met him when I, he came up here to get that car. Right. And was talking there, and so he said, you got your uniform and a helmet? And I said, yeah, you're going to drive this car tonight. Well, really, it's a heavy car. It was a speedway car, uh-huh. and real heavy. And uh, so anyway, I said, okay. <laughs> and believe it or not, I won the race. It, yeah. It, <laughs> but wait a second, your wife. I mean, you're, you, you got to – did you talk it over with your wife? I mean, you kind of retired, didn't you? You she, quit. She was not talking that night. <laughs> I understand that. It's, I, I feel it's icy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but things kept happening like that, you know. The little deals and Gary, he comes up, you know, and he come in there and we went to work and he had Tom to Piston built that Nova, mm-hmm. and we built it, but he gave us all the pieces. You know, that was a super car. I think we won about two hundred races in that thing. It's you a, and Gary? Yeah, Gary. He stayed all the way till the. Uh, God, he talked so fondly of you. Uh, Is that right? Yeah. He'd go I mean, all. He'd drive from Marshville all right. the way up to my house and, and to go to work at seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's and, a long drive. And, and just to to clarify, Gary was okay. What yeah. To so you? yeah. So Gary, uh, I, Gary spent a ton of time with Harry. They won a lot of races and raced together for a while. Then Gary and Dad hooked up for a little bit. Uh, I think it probably been that car yeah, that Daddy bought from it you. It was. Yeah. So Gary uh, helped dab with that. Gary had a racing parts business. He sold a little parts along the way. But then when I uh, I ran one year of street stock and dad said, I'm, uh, I want you to drive down to this address in Marshville and meet this guy, Gary. You're going to go race his car. He's got a late model. I was like, okay. And so I drove down there, and it was Gary Hargett. And he's, uh, his old shop had a dirt floor in it, mm. and he had this old late model primered, <laughs> primered up. And we raced in Myrtle Beach uh, for three years. Uh, and I heard all sorts of, you know, I heard about how great of a driver uh, Harry Gant was. Yeah. And, you know, he like he thought a lot of Daddy, too, but Harry Gant was Gary's man. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Oh, Gary was a farmer. He was, pig farmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's still around, right? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, yeah. uh, I know that you had your uh, retirement party a couple years ago, and he, he came. Did, yeah. He came yep. to it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, I, I love that. Uh, I've got that connection with That's cool. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about racing dad in those days in the sportsman car? Well, uh, tell you the truth, we didn't race too much together. Uh, I was more traveling yep. other places. Uh, you'll find out right quick when you get, uh, and we did uh, got help from companies 
you know, uh, build up racing stuff, you know, and, and especially Firestone. Yeah. For Gene White and Firestone Company, you know. Uh, Perk Brown was one of the uh, dealers at the racetrack. And Perk Brown, he won about 500 races in, out of Modified. Oh. Out mm. Winston-Salem. Mm. And so, anyway, he was a dealer. If I win the race, he'd give me a free tar. You buy three and pay and get a free one. So, anyway, that carried on and carried on. So, Perk, he told me one day, said, uh, you need to call Gene White. And uh, see if he won't help you out a little bit. I can't call Gene White. He said, "Yeah, call him." So it took me about two days to get up enough nerve, and I called him up, and he said, uh, "What do you need?" I'm sitting there at the, at the table on the telephone there. And I said, four tires a race." I know he's going to holler back on the telephone. You braced yourself. <laughs> he said, "Good. Where do you want them sent to?" Wow. So uh, he sent them down to me, you know. And then, so I was running like four races a week, you know. So, Dang, so he you sent know. you four sets a week? Yeah, I sent him right. He sent like four one time on a tractor trailer. Yeah. He'd come in there. Well, that that just fixed everything. Right. Yeah. Really what gave you such an edge over other drivers. I mean, you go practice and put four new ones on, you know, and run the heat race and put four new ones on <laughs> run a feature. <laughs> we went to Menzirik Gary, all of us went to St. Paul, Minnesota, run the fairground. And stopped in Indiana to pick up her tires. And they come in out there with a hauler. This hauler piston had a car, car sets on the back, this big hauler. It was built way back there a long time. Guy and Taylor will build it uh, way back there for a drag car. And it ended up to be the one that, uh, you probably don't go back that far, but uh, Jim Pascal drove that Dodge out of Bill Ellis. And they had that truck. And it was built there in Taylorsville, all the toolboxes, all that stuff, man. So Tom ended up with it, and Gary took it out to, uh, to Minnesota to State Fair and he picked them tires up and he come in with all you could put in the car and it had a double tire rack on top and some hanging on there that died on about 20 some tires Goodness, <laughs> to run that race out there you know Gary was a good man and, and, yeah. and you know everybody helped him but like I say you win races you know and, and you win money and then people companies help you the winners right. but, you know don't be fair for somebody that really you know kind of you know need, need the stuff you know all right let's take a quick break from talking to harry and tell you about a real special partner dale sounds good all right wait oh that was your call to action that was i was waiting on you to talk about uh thick anti-wear film and carbon buildup <laughs> all right mike you get spec for your engine <laughs> Let's remind Junior Nation about Valvoline. You know who I'm talking about. Everything Valvoline has done with me has been custom on on a personal level. Uh, Being the only motor oil brand with a dedicated engine lab makes them a great partner outside and under the hood. In 2014, they let me do a build of one of my all-time favorite vehicles. It was a 1974 Chevy Cheyenne. Short bed truck. That's the year I was born. Awesome body on that pickup truck, and it was orange. Of course, my favorite color. Of course it is. Yeah. We had a good time working together, man. It was uh, not showing on some funny moments. The, you know, funny for them, maybe not so funny for <laughs> me. The, the Pit Pals promotion they did in 2016 where they made me into a bobblehead was pretty fun. Um, no other motor oil goes that extra mile to build a relationship like Valvoline does, which is why I trust them in my engines, and you should too, from high-mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to new engines that have carbon buildup. Check out Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the right product for any engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. 
1975, uh, getting into your Cups uh, career, you ran Neil Castle's 06 at Charlotte. Uh, in 76, you ran a race for Joe Frisson. <laughs> he was a character. He, yeah. So Joe uh, missed the race uh, one time at, at Charlotte. I think it was Charlotte. Got, uh, didn't qualify, got out, and took a jack handle and beat the car. Beat the hood off his old Dodge uh, in front of everybody in the garage. <laughs> and, and you laugh as soon as he mentioned the name. So this must be the uh, a character that's uh, – I mean, obviously that story right there is going to prove it. But what was this guy like? Well, he, you know, uh, he he was just uh, outgoing. Yeah. Really, really loud talking. You know, I went down to drive it. I walk in Speedway down there, and he's sitting out there in a chair with an umbrella thing on. He said, "Here's your ride." <laughs> 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 yeah. But you know, uh, we had. A, uh, I tell you what, we done. I done a lot of races at Charlotte through Humphrey Wheeler and and Bruton and um, uh, Howard. <laughs> Richard yeah, Howard. Yeah, Richard Howard. And, uh, I had a big chance special. Fans voted, you know, and I won that thing in uh, one time. And it was a car, it was a soapy had over at Castle. Yep. I won it, so I went out and I run that car. Then I'd run Doc Faustina's Dodge. Uh, and uh, it, it was uh, every week, every big race. And, and Dale, too, he, Dale come down. And Humpy, he'd always get me and Dale to come down there, mm-hmm. you know, and run them. Who was, who was Doc Faustina? I, I, I read that you drove for him. What was his deal? He was a dentist in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as most car owners are, right? Yeah, right. Dentist in Las Vegas. <laughs> but he liked. It. Was he? Did he drive from time to time and just? Well, just I like guess he had it. As long as I even sell that car, he didn't drive. He's always at Charlotte. Uh, they they asked me, you know, they want to make a deal to run it, but uh, you know, yeah. I do a lot better running three races so and then running your sportsman car so I'd, I'd heard that about ralph earnhardt he um i didn't i i, I was i didn't know whether to believe his story or not but he didn't he wasn't thrilled about trying to pursue an opportunity in uh, the grand national series which is a cup series today mm-hmm. because he had to make he's making a great living mm-hmm. uh racing short tracks winning at concord and and building other guys cars helping other people building motors running his little you know being a mechanic for uh for street cars and out of his little shop back then it wasn't like this pursuit that you have all these kids going after now like i want to be in cup one day yeah and i always wondered whether ralph that was a story about ralph because well it because he probably wasn't ever going to make it like that was some sort of like this sour grapes kind of thing I didn't want to make it, you know. I had, I got a good thing going on, but it was real. Like it apparently, it sounds like that was the same situation for you, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. It's uh, you know, when I started driving, first started driving, you know, uh, like for Jack Beebe. Before yeah. that, though, the coal miner, I drove a few races, but Kenny Childers. Yeah, if you fell out of the race, you just got five hundred dollars. You know, if you wasn't on the plans, but your dad drove a couple, I think, Winston Cup. You know, mm-hmm. I heard him in the conversation with some more people there. He was telling them, but also. Uh, he won Charlotte first sportsman race and it come apart the race. <laughs> he didn't. He he. What it was a, uh, I think somebody won it. It's a modified. They called it then, and he's driving a preacher's car. They call him down at Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. And so, he, he finished was second. So Cox? he won the race. Yeah, Marion Cox. Co- Marion Cox. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that you talking about Ralph? Yeah. So uh, yeah, Leroy Yarbrough won the race. Ralph run second. Leroy got protested on his oh, wheels. This, this his wheels one. was too big. And, yeah. and and this is that video of Ralph Earnhardt where he says, "Well, they told us in the drivers' meeting we wasn't supposed to run them, so I guess he was illegal." <laughs> Chris Mont, Chris Conaback, he interviewed. It was yeah. Everything was more fun back then, you know, things yeah. like that. 
So you ran uh, Kenny Childers' cars. You mentioned that name, drove four, his, uh, four races for him. Uh, in 1978, you were seventh at Atlanta. I think that was kind of the moment. You might not have been looking for a cup ride, but I think that's when everybody in the cup series started looking at you as, hey, man, this guy might have the chops to get in here and be a regular and be a winner. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was asked, uh, you know, probably four or five different. But the cars, only one I really cared about to start with was Jenny Dunleavy. <laughs> yeah. And I always, every time I had a chance to see him and all, I'd always say, Man, I waited all them years, and you heard Jody Ridley. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he was funny. But anyway, yeah. You, um, Kenny's cars were pretty good, though. Yeah, they was. What it was, he got uh, first race we went to Riverside. Yeah. And so I'd never been there either. So they take off to Riverside. And uh, so I was talking to Kale Yardborough. Kale said, you can go up through these S's wide open. <laughs> and uh, so I took his word for it, you know. Right. So I go out there and I run out track, and so I went through there, you know, pretty fast, you know, in third gear, but you're in high gear. You hit third right when you get there, but you done wound out in high gear. And so go up through there, and I come down the back stretch down through there, and I come in around the corner and pull it up there in high, pull it back in high gear right there, popped it back in third, left it to the floor. I made about the first two that around ran up that desert I went up through there, this mm. backwards, you know, bumped in the wall. Come down there, and you had to, they had a machine shop there then. Mm-hmm. Had to put it on it and straighten it back up. I lost that practice session that most of that day. Next day I go out there, same thing again. But I didn't hit the wall the second time. And that's about the size of the man. It, uh, and so then I was talking to another guy. He said, you can't do up through there wide open. I said, you can't even come close to do it wide open. You got to pitch that thing anyway. All right. So anyway, when the race started, I said, I will not run off of this racetrack all day. So I just... Watched it all day. He took stayed it, on the blacktop. Stayed on the blacktop and finished 12th, I think. I, uh, so, yeah, 1981, you talked about it. Um, drove for Roger Hamby, Jack Beebe, James Hilton, one yeah. race, Kenny Childers. Um, you eventually landed the uh, ride you'd be, known, you'd be known for the rest of your career, the Skull Bandit ride with Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds in the middle of that season. Uh, you had multiple second-place finishes, finished third in points. Uh, Stan Barrett, uh, the old uh, stuntman, was the original driver for that team. They original, they you know figured that he was struggling to p- perform, and I think they actually ran two cars a couple races. He yeah. went to the twenty-two. You, you were in the thirty-three, but eventually you became the man. Um, you were driving the forty-seven for Jack BB when Hal Needham took notice of your talents. Um, how did that? Well, it, it was at uh, Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, we'd been running a lot of seconds. I could run a bunch of seconds that year with BB. And uh, so, anyway, we'd been running a couple of years there. And so, we'd run in Atlanta. And uh, we sat on the pole in Atlanta. You know, Caprice. You boys never get a chance right. to do those stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so, anyway, uh, we out there, we, we, you know, we led by, by, I guess, about the whole race. And uh, get down to the end, had good pit stops and everything. And Cale Yarborough. And myself was only two cars in the lead lap at Atlanta, you know. And so we come, and I had a good lead on Kale. Yeah. So anyway, the caution comes out. Same deal, 10 laps to go. Caution comes out. And so I'm riding along, you know, back then you went into pits hard. You know, there goes Kale down pit road. And I told on the radio, I said, uh, Kale's pitting. I, I couldn't, could probably have got in about quick, you know, when he ducked in the pit. And they said, stay out, stay out. And I said, 
he put on four tires, you know, heck, he's done had them tied before I even got down on the caution car down through. He done ready to come back out, but he had to wait, you know. Sure. Yeah, but he got to go right back up because we was on them one the lead left. And so anyway, I told him we need to pit. And uh, they said, no, you can beat him. You can beat him on what you got, which I could have probably, you know. But anyway, to throw the green, I go down the first turn, flat right rear tire. Oh, man. And I go down the back stretch, you know, best I can, come around and come in, get in the pit, and change that one tire and took off out. Kale went flying by just as I went out of the pits, you know. So I ran as hard as I could, but he didn't. He, I gained a lot, but he definitely was not trying them last, so what, about eight laps to go sure. when I come back out. So I finished second, and uh, and they had to, you know, at the winter circle, and uh, so I had to wait. They done the, the kill, and then he stepped down, and we done a deal for the pole and the leading the lap. We had a big old check there, you know, and made pictures with that thing, and I see these people out there motioning for me to come over there. And so I went over there, and it was Hal Needham and Johnny Hayes, who I didn't know Johnny either. Yeah. So they, uh, they, they was wanting me to, to you know, interest in, and they were filming a movie down there, Sharky's Machine with Bert, and uh, to come over to the hotel and see Bert and make a deal. Well, I wasn't gonna just, man, I just quit in a car here that I. <laughs> yeah, you just run second. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I just didn't put, and they kept on on. I said, I have got four people with me, my crew, you know, from the, my old sport. That's who worked with BB. Yeah. And everybody I'd raced for nearly, except the, finally at the school. And they, so I said, i got to go take them home. I've got to go to work in the morning. they got to go to work in the morning. We just drove right out of there. So you didn't go? No. You didn't go meet with them? No, I didn't go meet them. They said, them. we've got Burt Reynolds over at this hotel. We want to go over there and have a meeting and talk about building, you know, getting you in our car <laughs> and you're like i gotta you work know, whatever i'm going on <laughs> i mean burt riddles was the biggest star back then right i mean like yeah he was, he was i can't top, imagine anybody bigger the topest box office draw for five years there so how did that how did you eventually ever get settled well, down to see him you won't believe this uh, i had to go over first to my truck my clothes was in bb's truck and uh so anyway uh, i had to get my clothes out of the truck and it was locked up so I had to take this boy next door. He was cutting his car up, some stuff to get it in the trailer. And so I borrowed the torch and I cut the lock off. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. So there was a guy cutting his race car up that he wrecked trying to get it up on the hauler and you borrowed the torch. To get uh, your clothes. Yeah, so lock off. my billfold and everything was in there. So. Yeah, well, you got to get it. Yeah, yeah. you got to get it. So, so I got my clothes and I left. And uh, they was, see, they was based in Connecticut. BB? Oh, yeah. Okay. So see – I, you could never get there. I mean, they couldn't get there till it used to be qualified first twenty. You know, the first day qualified. They couldn't never get there. No, in they'd time come to for, for second. Oh second wow, really? Up. Yeah, and uh, like one time at uh, Martinsville, they couldn't get there. You know, <laughs> they're going to come second day. Okay, so I'm standing around there. So Travis Carter comes down to me and he said, uh, "Kale's got his airplane and he can't get in. It's foggy, and we need to practice." Would I take his car a few laps? And I said, okay, it's Bush. It's oh, yeah. So anyway, I go out there and I run. Uh, that, was a, that car really felt good. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> I guess so. And, uh, yeah. It's so I come in, you know, and uh, a little bit later then, Junior come down there, and he says, Kale's not going to make it, and everybody's qualified. We're starting qualifying now. So you start his car. You qualify that car for him, and he'll qualify yours. And at the time, you could switch cars. You know, yeah. It wouldn't like you had to go to the rear. I said, okay. And it's next, I'm next to uh, last qualifying. 
well, the cars in front of me was Daryl, the die guard car. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Daryl, he goes out, and he, he didn't, I'd already qualified, he didn't beat my time. I got it made, ain't one car left. Buddy Baker, he don't even run short track. <laughs> Had that gray goo. Uh, oh, gray, the gray yeah, ghost. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, he beat me more than 100,000. I could not believe it. He couldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't. But uh, Kale, he had to qualify mine the next day then, you know. So he didn't do too good. He come in and he said, I'll tell you one thing. that you got enough lead in that car? He had to hold it to the right down the straightaway pretty hard, you know. But I liked it like that. It worked good for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, a lot of things happened over the years there and stuff you had. Yeah. And, but anyway, uh, when I ended up in the back to school car, uh, like I say, after I left there, I went home, and uh, uh, Humpy Wheeler called me. said, I need to go talk to them people, and then Ned, he called me. Ned Jarrett? Yeah. Yeah, they's all calling you, yeah. trying to talk you into so it. So I'm, I'm going to call BB. I can't get in touch with him. I called Connecticut, Connecticut, and I called the shop. So Pistone calls me, and they're up there uh, testing at Bristol with Bouchard. <laughs> the 33 car? Yeah. Really? No, no, no. Oh, the BB. BB car, 47. Wow. Yeah, so. Was he did, driving it then, yeah. some? So no, no, huh? No, he wasn't driving it yet. No, no, I figured I was replaced, you know. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> so that's how, that's how that got Why did back. they put Bouchard in it? Well, you know, I, like I say, I was building houses, too. It's kind of not a whole lot then. I slacked off there in the 78 and 79. I only yeah. built a couple of houses. But anyway, hey, I guess I took it wrong, uh, but uh, it, it, they didn't call me, you know. They didn't and call you to tell you about it. Maybe the, he just just, was, just got him. To, he used to drive their car, uh, modified. He used to oh, drive. Okay. Yeah, and just maybe practice it. But and my phone kept ringing there, you know. So I I had I went down going to go down to the shop, and uh, I went over to Harry Hyde's. I can't, the guy that was from Ohio that owned the car then, and so he he uh, somebody told me he needed a driver, so I went over, and I talked to him, and everybody was really pumped up and nice you know and I he wanted me to tell him and I, I said well if I, as far as I know you know I could probably I just need to tie up a few loose, loose ends you know that's the only one that was available you know so anyway it it didn't run much you know yeah. it wasn't they like it wasn't they need a driver I, yeah Joe Rutman I think Joe Rutman might now I might be wrong yeah. but I think he might have drove it gotcha. off a bit. I just paid attention to the number but anyway I headed back up the road and uh, I stopped at the school office up there. I told them I'd come by, but I had to go down there first. I was just going to satisfy them from calling me so much. Went back <laughs> there, and, and they wanted to harm me, you know, and kept on, and I said, well, I don't know. I just don't know. It just kept standing in my mind, you know, about Harry Hyde. You know, he always had good cars and all. And uh, Wasn't you a little nervous, though? He was kind of quirky. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, going way back, I, I almost got a ride there. Uh, that's the, Harry Hyde's the only person that I think I ever asked to drive a race car for. And Bobby Bobby Isaac um, drove it, the Dodge K&K. Yes. Okay. Whenever Bobby left, and uh, I guess he went to forward them but more. But anyway, that car, uh, Ned Jarrett called me. Ned Jarrett called me. He done, Ned done a lot, really. For getting in with Sounds like it. There's several. Yeah. So Ned, he calls me up and said that your name has been flashed across the desk down there as a new driver for the K&K Dodge. And this was way back, you know, yeah. 70. By the time I drove Harry, uh, Harry uh, Junior Dunlap's car right uh-huh. in there. And uh, so I go over there. And 
up at the Goodyear place, top of the hill, over the racetrack. Yep. That's, that's what K&K Dodge was there in. And uh, so I, you can't go in here, that guy said, and I said, I need to speak to Harry Hyde. And he come out there, he's always, you know, cleaning his fingernails with his knife all the time. And, and I told him, he said, J you interested? And I said, yeah. He said, well, said, uh, I kind of done made a deal with Dave Marcus to drive the car, you know, so, you know, that ended that right quick, you know. So. Right. But it, later on, years later, when I went by the school office, I, I studied on it a good bit and I went home. And I really hated to, to leave BB and them, you know. It was a good but, team. Yeah. But you sort of felt like that they, I mean, did they ever have an explanation on why uh, they were testing with Bouchard? Or did were you really out of that job? Well, it's uh but later on down the road, you uh, doing an interview like this, and uh, I figured I was fired, you know. Yeah. And then BB, he called me up, you know, real quick. He said, "You wasn't fired. <laughs> you know, they didn't fire me, you know." He said, "But I, I, I never did talk much about it after that, you know. But I assumed that's what it was, maybe, because yeah. uh, we were on the verge of winning. You know, we uh, it was get so close. Anyway, maybe that car was owned by John Rebham. Yeah. Number seventy-seven. Yeah. That. The Harry. one from Harry Hyde. Yeah. Harry Hyde was I think working Donnie on. had gotten hurt in that car or something. Uh, Charlotte, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, so working with Hal Needham and those guys, you got to go do a lot of movie stuff. You got to see them. You know, you're connected to Hollywood now. Um, <laughs> Just like anybody from Taylorsville. Right. Yeah, everybody right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the coolest things, I still, it's my second favorite racing movie ever next to The Last American Hero Um Stroke race comes out, right? Mm -hmm. Big deal. Burt Reynolds is then gonna gonna put NASCAR on the map. Lonnie Anderson, all the drivers are in it, you're in it, dad's in it. It was awesome. It was a big, big time for for the sport. And you had a couple scenes where <laughs> you're in the middle of a three wide with Aubrey James <laughs> and and uh and you had a line in the movie, what well, was oh hell, here we go again. <laughs> yep. Um so how much fun was that? You know, you're racing cars, you're in this grind, running the Cup Series, working your tail off, uh, and being able to do something like that, I, that had been a lot of fun to be able to it was a portray lot of, yourself. Because yeah, portraying yourself is easy. You just got to be yourself. You don't have to act. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's always said, Bert. Uh, he always said uh, you know, he always wanted to win an Oscar. You know, yeah. And, of course, every movie star does. But anyway, I mean, after meeting and being around him a whole lot, I said, he's himself. I mean, he's not acting when he does what he does. Oh, yeah. really? Is that yeah. right? So, to win an Oscar, you know, you got to do some specials that you're not. Right. You know, you portray some actual acting. Yeah. 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 He was just so jolly all the time. You know, he he say, "What kind of music like?" I say, "Country music." Me too. You know, who's your favorite? <laughs> Merle Haggard and them, Johnny Cash. Me too. Yeah. You know, he was just this down there to be. But uh, yeah, we filmed that movie and that uh, it's a. Uh, it was really a lot of fun, you know, going back again to racetrack, to Alladega, start finish line is way down here. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's in the shadow late in the day. So they're going to do a spin-out deal. Bunch of, see, they had all these cars right here. They're show cars. Yeah, yeah they were yeah. tearing them up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, none of them didn't handle good, you know. Right. But the stunt guys, you got to be a member of the thing to get in to, to you drive gotta one. you got to be a member of SAG, I SAG, think, or yeah. the stunt Union. Yeah, so anyway, they want to race. Oh. So how he's telling them all this stuff on the racetrack, I'm standing right there. He tells do this, does this, do this, and you bump him down here because they had other footage tie in with it, you know. You bump about probably six, eight cars, maybe nine out there down the back street. Yeah, yeah, okay. So anyway, they go out through there. He get We get up on the flag stand, me and him. 
we're up on the flag stand. They come around, they take off, you know, down through there, and they go down. I mean, they just, I mean, really going They're going after it. They're trying to win. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And half of them don't even have the right shocks and stuff like that, you know. Oh, yeah. They don't. Load them, jack them up. But anyway, going down the bike stretch, and they done the spin out, but one car spun. The rest of them still going. (laughs) Oh, dang, Hal said, here you're coming off before he goes down the ladder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like in that dark section. Oh, Lord. <laughs> no. He's down here. They come. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you. Here they come. I've been doing about, about 140, probably, yeah. around there. And uh, he's standing. He just throws right there in them cars. Zing, 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 zing. But it, it uh, Hal really uh, was involved in racing, just to real depths of racing he, right he was just really into it he liked to have been a race car driver really yeah y'all were the first team to birth the telemetry in a stock car y'all had basically the first um software hardware to be able to draw data and hal talks about that in interviews uh he was heavily involved in and, and prideful about being able to bring that kind of technology to the sport thought it was cutting edge and um, you talked about how I've, I've watched videos of you talking about how, man, this thing's, uh, you know, it's a big computer, it's a big giant box yeah, standing over like a refrigerator. The, right, looking like a refrigerator, you said. <laughs> and they're taking, they're getting live data out of that thing as the car goes around the racetrack, how Needham said. What were you guys learning with that information? Yeah, it's a, basically, I guess maybe what they got later or either got now, I don't really know, but uh, it was a state of the art thing. You standing out there in the, in the pits with the this big big huge thing and then and the guy running it was from hewlett packard hewlett yeah. packard furnished the thing but it take you a couple of days to get your car all hooked up to all that you got to do, cut all the cylinders you know put the sensors and all the exhaust head when mm-hmm. they come out of the head you got to do shocks seat um everything and right. it, t- it took a long time to do all that and you know we didn't have 20 cars back then you know we had one yeah t- two with stan you know whenever he was in there so if they put it in when we went to daytona with stan it was in the car and uh so i'm standing there watching and it shows you the g-force in the turns and how much travel the shocks are going the best part of all with the engineer the engine people really like this here and which i know they got it now but big old screen a big screen and here's a dummy engine you can turn it this way or this way you know the pistons working slow yeah okay here's a sensor these front pistons up here you know are yellow and green like and you go back through <laughs> the yellow then they get red yeah y'all just say i mean it yeah. was so, so just slow motion red, red yeah. can't get yeah can't be good yeah and so you know you need to get more gas to the back part of the carburetors you know the front get air and it tested all the air and everything but Anyway, so they uh, Stan, helped tune the motor air. With yeah, Stan, he uh, he spun that car out. I I practiced in it uh, every morning. I'd take it out on the track, you know, and it looks damp, but it really not as damp as it looks. You know, they yeah. didn't have the white lines on it, and uh, so uh, and Stan he'd go out, and I just I was waiting on BB them to come down, so I just went down. They called me when we go down there with Stan practicing, so I go down there and you know being used to it. Uh, I mean, uh, you had a cup of coffee, you know, it, it, it's, it's okay. Let's go. And so I'd take it out there, and I'd whoop off four or five laps there, about 192, I think, so it run. And uh, so then Stan would take it out, but he he never could hold it wide open, you know. It's, it's, if you didn't ever, everything looks easy on television. If the camera in the car, it's not like it right. if you was in the car. And so anyway, 
it uh, he he was in about 180 right in there, you know. So Benny Parsons come down there the next day, and I take it around the track, you know, whoop off about four or five laps, get it good and come in. And Stan says, how can you drink a cup of coffee and go out there and run 192 miles? <laughs> I said, that's what we do. Yeah. You know. What kind of driver was Stan? Stan could do a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, a stuntman is really dangerous, more dangerous than what we were doing. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> they yeah. They're born crazy. But, but if you hadn't done it and get yeah. the feel, you'd had no feel. Yeah. That's what it was. It just, just, you know, you got to feel Yeah, I've track. become friends with his, with his son, son, Stanton, over but, the years. On that telemetry thing, did did you think they were nuts when they first t- told you what they were going to be doing with these computers and putting them in your race car? Or did you really feel like it was going to be a cutting-edge advantage that this is where the sport was going? Uh, no. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, I was uh, – well, okay, when I first saw it, I think, put it in the floorboard over here. And it's big. 45 pounds. 45 pounds. Uh, all the stuff's 45 pounds on the right-hand side, mainly, you know, and the telemetrists uh, didn't weigh much. But, uh, you know, I, I was eager to see it. And, and I, okay. I watched Stan go around the racetrack, uh, you know, how them shocks were moving and the cylinders. And you could see everything that you really like to, to yeah. see. So you thought it was cool? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you didn't you didn't be like, no, hmm. this is just going to mess up my race car. Get your computer. Like, like these Hollywood elites are trying to come in here with their, their t- telemetry and their computers yeah. and, and trying to – but this, you felt like this was, uh, in, this is where we were going. Yeah, because Hewlett Packard, uh, they sent a guy here with them, and we were supposed to run that thing, you know, as far as we know, all the time. And uh, he was going to move here. Everything is wow. all set. I mean, that, that's got to you know. feel like a big culture shock when you got the guy from Hewlett Packard. I would, I would be, be like. Here thinking hell yeah we're going to win every freaking race we're about to lap the field nobody has this right well yeah. no yeah knowing now in hindsight yeah but i didn't know if that would be the way it was then in well, the moment uh, it then and now is a lot different what it what it was um we put it in the car i can't think exactly what the first race track i went to but it was in the car i'm gonna race you know everything's i mean the only thing i didn't like was that 45 pounds you know sure. here we had a lot of lines. You had a lot of little clear lines, but like a straw, a lot of them all through there. So we was all thought we was in real shape, you know, in the garage area. So uh, Gasway. Yeah, the NASCAR official, lead NASCAR official, Bill Gasway. Yeah, Bill Gasway, he came over and he said, he tried to trace them lines, and we couldn't. You know, all over the car and the cylinders, the carburetor at the yeah. back of the dent, and the intakes, all that stuff, you know. You can't blame him, really, you know, and he didn't know. Mm. Whoever thing, what it was, and you got something you come in like that, and they don't know what it is. You know, you, you might have an electric engine. <laughs> oh yeah, they're suspicious. Like that. But anyway, he said uh, you can run it today, but don't think you're going to be able to run it because it's not available for Production. everybody. Yeah, not a, yeah, that makes mm. sense. So they made you take it off. Yeah, but you still probably used it at tests, right? Probably took it to a test. No, uh, it let you... no, we didn't even test with it. We couldn't use it. Joe. we uh, back in our day. It, the driver was about the only computer you needed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who was the crew chief for you? At the Travis Carter. Travis Carter, so tra- championship winning crew chief. Mm-hmm. Part of me was hoping yeah. Harry Hyde was somehow involved as Sec- the Hewlett Packard no. guy shows you up finished, and Harry Hyde I gets got, killed. You finished second <laughs> in the Winston in 1985. Darrell Waltrip crossed the finish line and suddenly blows his motor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you think Bill, uh, DW blew that motor up on purpose? I well, do. <laughs> I never did. I'll tell you what, I was so aggravated at myself that I really didn't even think much about that because the plan, don't never have a plan yeah. racing, you know. <laughs> so we had a plan. You got to pit between uh, 40 and like 
10 or 15 laps, you know. Yeah. Well, we, we picked the first one. Let's pit right then and be fast. You know, and so we go, we're racing. I'm leading, uh, Taylor Bonnie leading the race, you know. So I'm coming, coming, coming. We way out front. So Travis says, pit next time. I said, it feels good. I'm going to pass Terry and pit, you know. No, pit this time. Well, I did. I come in, pitted, you know, changed tires, went back out. And just like the hair being this, like you go in the first turn over the hump, yeah. you could go over the hump, lift it, and this. You had to lift on for the hump or on top. Yeah. It, it, this wouldn't turn if you didn't. And I know that I was going to be in trouble. I'm way ahead. But they changed tires, you know, later on. So they, they all had fresh tires. Yeah. But I still, I couldn't get in the corner at all like I wanted to. And so I, I was at, I was really mad that I didn't run one more lap. Mm. <laughs> I, I should have run 10 more of them tires. Yeah. You know, they, they were, were so quicker good. than everybody. But uh, that's the way it always goes, y'all, with yeah. hindsight 2020. You won the IROC title in 1985. That mean a lot to you? Yeah, it did. Uh, uh, I was really uh, thrilled to be into the in the race, you know, to be accepted in it. Uh, yeah. And uh, then again, it, uh, it it luck played away. So, so I had a your test car, you know, you run the IROC, and you got there in the test car, you know, and you turned into 7,000 RPM, something like that. They, they got them geared up and tight, real tight cars. So uh, anyway, we run in Michigan there, and up to that point, I was tied. Uh, let's see. I wasn't tied. Darren was leading the points. And I'd finished you know, the other race, like in the top three. So anyway, we go up there, and they throw the green take off. Man, my car's turning seventy two and a half, way above what that test car was. And so I said, I don't want things tied. I don't want to abuse it. And I'm just going to if you lead half the race, you know, and you get the points in the thing. So I lead halfway, a little bit later, and I just over Terry by, you know, and he went by. I'm going to save this thing. Well, I kept running and running. Wasn't no big deal at all, you know. But we got down the end right there. I think I need to pass him right here. And I went and drove it down in. He went low where I was going to go low, and you had to let up, you know. And it had a little bit of push to it. And I'd saved that right front tire all this time, you know. And then all of a sudden, they waved the white flag. And we were kind of said, boy, I messed up. I should have stayed in front, you know. And the, so we go down the back stretch. And I ain't gonna, I'm not going to win the race here. I'm, I'm, I start to go under him. I got to figure something, so I went back to outside. And then all the way I'm going to win, just leave it down. You know, three and four. And what, what track is this? Michigan. So this was the last race. Yeah, and I'm yeah. on the outside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and I know that wall was going to be coming up in a hurry. You yeah. ain't going to be able to turn it no more. But it, it just got right over there. And, and I think and Terry dropped down low, you know, when I beat him there then. But the big deal was after it's over. Uh, Daryl and myself tied. Yeah, y'all were tied in <laughs> yeah. points. Oh, points. okay. Yeah, in points. And uh, so they go for the man that finished the highest, break the tie, and I won the race. You know, and Daryl finished, I think, fourth or fifth right behind Kale. And Daryl told him, said, well, if I know that I need to pass Kale, I could not have passed him. Kale didn't take it too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so he ended up in a tie. He could have just passed Kale and then would have yeah, had the most broke points. The tie, yeah. Yeah. So we have a uh, we did a poll on social media, Leah, about you uh, your best nickname. You had a lot of nicknames, Harry. A lot of good ones. <laughs> you have a lot of nicknames. There's, I, I there didn't like more, that handsome yeah. Harry. I didn't like it. Well, let's see you what never the fans liked it. said. Let's right. see what the fans said, Leah. So we gave him four options. We gave him the Bandit, High Groove Harry, Handsome Harry, and Mister September. And forty six percent of people um, said that your best nickname was Handsome Harry. <laughs> Yeah. The one you didn't like, I guess. Yeah, they give me that at Martinsville. 
you know, the no announcer yes. used to be way back there. He'd come out there, and I said, you introduced me like that uh, for the Winston Cup race. I'm not going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I won't. And so then he called my name out and waited till I got on the stage, you know. And then said it. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, but, uh, you know, like uh, a little nicknames up at Asheville. Oh, Shook Thompson was a DJ, and he's a announcer up there. Yeah. He had something for every driver, you know. Oh. He'd say, uh, open that back gate and that bending Benny Curly through here. <laughs> oh, that yeah. orange man Jack, you yeah. know. He, he called me uh, uh, Harry the Hare. And, uh, <laughs> and it was it was funny, them names. Is that where Harry, is that where Handsome Harry came from, like from that? Or where did no, this come from, from in Martinsville? Martinsville. Martinsville. The guy, just a guy just, just yeah. blurted it out? Yeah, he was a big, big announcer. Yeah. Oh, big. Oh, man. 19, uh, 1990, in, in 1989, you uh, teamed up with Leo and Richard Jackson, crew chief Andy Petrie, 1991, five wins, four in a row yeah. in September. And that's when you got the nickname Mr. September. Um, what was it about that car, man? You guys were flying. I remember at Martinsville, you had the right front fender missing. You won your first race at Martinsville in 1982. Yeah. Uh, and in that iconic photo in Victory Lane in 1982, the fender is ripped up and missing. And I remember when I ran some of my best races at Martinsville, it was when the fender was gone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> keep having front tires cool. That thing turns all day long. Um, but, again, going back to that string of four in a row, I mean, you're, what, 52 years old uh, around that time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people made a big deal out of that. And uh, so, so tell us about that. I mean, four in a row, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, we we was just getting better and better all yeah. along, and uh, a lot of people started that. What it was, the whole thing was the Oldsmobile body. The body was flat in front, about four inches of it. It didn't have any slope and bump around there. The deck lid was a little longer than the Chevrolet, and I think Andy says about three or four inches higher. That's bowler, you know. Yeah. It was a perfect bounce car, and it was a rear steer car, so you had no problem ever pushing, you know, with a rear steer car. So anyway. What we would do uh, when we were in the car, not necessarily the, uh, before that ever come out, it was such a good bounce car. If you like, you go to a racetrack and like Darlington, we run good at Darlington and all the tracks that you, that you need to get rid of the wheel span. You, your front end's going to be okay. It's going to turn. So what we do, we just take a, a right rear, you know, put equal up the rear spring. And if that didn't do it, put softening right and put that over yeah. here. Hit Billy. Yeah, and just. Turn it and floorboard it, you know, and didn't spin. So that's the way it worked. That that car, that car, but it did not work when we changed the body and put the Luna. Yeah. This it had. Oh yeah. Everything was different. We well, had a lot of great success with Andy and, and the Jackson brothers uh, in the final couple of years of your career. You drove a lot of races in the Xfinity series for a guy named Ed Whitaker, who I had the pleasure of racing for a couple of times and getting mm-hmm. to know really well. And and Ed Whitaker told me uh, this about Harry Gant. He said. I never had to work on the car too much. But <laughs> no. Harry'd get in the car, and uh, I'd ask him how it was, and you'd say it's gonna be fine. Mm. It's got a little tight. It's a little tight, but it'll be good. It's a little loose, but it'll be good. And never really was too worried about the balance on the car. Um, said you just always just jumped in and wheeled it. Yeah, sometimes you can get carried away on yeah. moving stuff around. And uh, see, Ed always had a good car. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'd, I'd race it again. Ed, Ed's cars a lot in the sports, but I didn't really know that's who the, owned that car. And uh, uh, Charlotte, it ran really good, and Bill Elliott drove it. And then Morgan Shepard drove it. He won. Bill would have won something happened there at Charlotte. 
seemed like some uh, uh, might have been uh, Allison might have drove it there, uh, but anyway, he calls me up. Well, I didn't even know him, you know, and I wasn't going to run. See, your daddy is the reason I run that car. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I got I'll in the Winston that. Cup, I my young I'm not going to mess with this name anymore. And uh, especially when I went to school, I yeah. kept using it. Brian Beebe, we didn't run all the race. That give me weekends I can go run it. So anyway, uh, Daryl, uh, Dale, he was had a good wrench, and he was just kicking butt around there, you know, in that sportsman car. Man, I wished I had my car in. Ed called, and, and I, st- I said, what, what number is your car? And he told me, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll drive it. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how they ended up. I just wanted to race Dale. Really? Yeah, kind of on really? even yeah. bases, you know. Yeah. Not big factories involved, nothing like that. And I'd just go to the racetrack, and here I got a car. It's a Lofton. Yeah, front steer car. I never run a front steer car. Never ran a front steer car. And uh, it was real good. And I just go out there and practice a few laps and caught it. I I need to get Winston Cup was my main thing. I'd run back at, you know, Darlington, all them things. Back and forth. Yeah. And uh, so I'd run over there and I'd run two or three laps and get a plug check. And I'd just say, how fast do you go? And he'd tell me. And I said, who went real fast? Mark Martin or Dale, you know? How fast do you go? Okay. Just get it ready. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I'd go on. I didn't practice hardly any. That's right. crazy. Man, wow. Because if you sat around long enough, somebody's going to want to change something. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. And and I was didn't know the boys that good, you know. And all. So anyway, uh, Ed was was great. And all I ever done, to, all I ever said was uh, we won, uh, I think it was Darlington. We won the race, and Bobby Labonte was really – my car pick up a push you know but i didn't say anything about it much it wasn't that bad you know? <laughs> that's so, what i'm saying that's what it would say so your car would get tight and be like ah and, and for the first time ever now i've done drove several races i said how you got the front end sitting here well you know it, it was positive you know left front you know about uh, about a half a degree and about three over here and i said pull this thing back there and still pull the wheelbase forward but bring it back to about two and a half degrees just see what it, it turns to a, a like a rear steer car right and uh, it's a harder to drive that way but it turns you know that uh, other way was a real soft steering yeah going back there a little ways uh talking about steering i know everybody's different now but what we've done i went to daytona and run thomas brothers car yep country ham in the mm-hmm. sportsman race i come in i said that thing just don't seem to want to turn and <laughs> and I'd run there a couple of times in my short drag car. Right. And they'd do a little work, and I'd go out, and I'd come in, and I said, well, it's the same way. And uh, what it was, they had a they used a 21 steering box, and I always used 16 there yeah. in every war. Golly, a 20 <laughs> to 1? A 20 to 1? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and what made it funny is uh, I know uh, Petty and them used to, he used to work with him, he says, Maybe you're not turning the steering wheel enough. He didn't. I didn't ask him about what it was or anything. I said, "Well, it's, it seemed like I am." He said, "Go out and try it, and just when it starts, feel like it's going to push, turn it more." <laughs> sure enough, it turned just right yeah, around. Yeah, the, the Cup guys today these days run an eight to one or ten to one box. I started in Cup Series with about a fourteen, and I mean, every, over the years they've gotten quicker and quicker and quicker. Can't imagine a twenty-one box. <laughs> so um, you. Drove race cars all your life, uh, but you're you're quoted as saying, "I never consider myself to be a great race car driver, but I always figured myself a good carpenter." And a lot of people love to talk to talk to you about that, and we want to as well. Um, 
you'd said it over and over through, throughout the interview building houses you built houses all your life and that was your job that was your trade yeah um, but you enjoy it you enjoy roofing and even after you retired you continue to uh to do that yeah i build stuff uh i i really really hate it that's one reason it's hard to go to winston cup really you know i, I had a crew and i'd worked my dad for a lot of years and then i had my own crew and i just love building houses and but then when i got into racing pretty heavy in the short track i love to build them race cars it's like building a house you know you got a level <laughs> you know that jazz you know plumb you know yeah and it and it was it come easy to do that too you know and uh that 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 was worked good and um but i could i could build about anything i wanted you know without any trouble you know blueprint something it it just come natural all them years i spent doing it built cabinets i built my house 65 and you know I was 25, I still live there now, and I built the cabinets and all, you know, all the houses. You still live there now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, what what do you, uh, what 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 does Harry Gant go and do today? What's, what are you spending your time doing? Well, uh, you know, we got a farm over 300 acres, and uh, I got some over land out there. We can create hay and all that. And at my house, I, I mowed eight, six acres, and I got 14 <laughs> acres there. And, uh, but I helped my son. Uh, grandson yeah. mowed a couple solar farms and we're going when i leave here i'm going to go he's taking the tractors down there so i told him i'd be back up there to see him so we'll start mowing the one that's really close to my house there it's only about a about a mile and a half away you'll be on a mower today yeah and then i go every morning over to the farm i go walk uh i walk two miles every morning you, know, you do yeah yeah we right now you know you got to keep up a lot of stuff it's not not so much work as it was i uh I know you don't remember this here because I told Rick Allen about it, but never. I was supposed to quit in '92. My contract with Skull ran out in '92, and I, I was going to hang it up, you know. So then they'd come down and give us a big talk, Leo Jackson and myself, and and we left there. And Leo called me up. Well, if you want to go a little bit more, I will too. And I okay. Mm-hmm. So we signed in for through '94. Well, in '91, when I figured in September here what I was going to do. Mike, the pilot, he was Earnhardt's pilot. Mike Collier, yeah. Yeah, Mike Collier. He worked, we worked together for a long time. He's the first airplane I got and the first pilot. And I got to farm then about that time. And Mike, you know, he's an old rodeo guy and all and everything. But I asked Alan to tell you, you didn't remember it, but uh, uh, we would go eat together, my wife and, and uh, Mike. And you was there at the table no. one day. Oh, no. I love these stories because you never know where they're going to go. You never know what the impression was. What? And I asked Mike, I said, uh, uh, you have to babysit him now. You was about 13 maybe, somewhere yeah. along there. And so my wife, uh, Junior, he didn't say much. Of I'm course. That's what everybody says when yeah. they went to eat with that Junior in 13. When, he, yeah. when they right bring him to the racetrack, you know. He didn't say much. No, uh-uh. And, uh, <laughs> so he's just sitting there and ain't said a word. And my wife asked him, why did you go to the military school yeah. in Virginia? He said, not because we were bad kids. <laughs> 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 he said, his dad busy and didn't have the time, you know, but I always remember that you sitting there, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, racing now is, is, is totally different. I, I, oh, yeah. You know, and it, I'm surprised at really how it went. Watching Richard Childress yesterday being interviewed, you know, technology and all. It, that how the curve took off and then you know leveled out it changed uh, and I, I don't really know why but i, I watched the race yesterday did you do, do you watch uh, a lot of races did you, you know? no I, I did i did uh i tell you i worked for a u.s tobacco company you know till 
07 after I quit racing in mm-hmm. 94, 07. And then Mannheim Auction, same thing from 94 to 09. And I'm at racetracks, conventions, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, the sales, all that stuff. And, and that, that really helped to get, I know you probably have to think about it a little bit, you know, you got you, racing you know yeah when you get out of the car and you get out of the car and that really helped a whole lot being around and doing this stuff it really helped uh, because you know like uh used just being around and and but but then again i watched and watched and watched it and all they'd make me want to do was wished i was out there driving oh <laughs> yeah. you, you got a little bit of that feeling right now yeah i you? miss I, I, when i'm standing there i never miss it until i'm watching it right is that, that is right? it yeah. yeah so i made my mind up i'm not gonna watch this thing every sunday oh yeah. it's, it's, torture. it's not been long ago either yeah and i said i'm gonna do i got some antique cars and other things i'm gonna do something different on sunday you know but yesterday I, I watched the most of it. But the night races, I cannot keep awake to oh, watch. Oh, I imagine, them. yeah. <laughs> that race. was another thing too. One of uh, one of the things I want to ask you about is like you in 1996 you ran some truck races and and you just mentioned it how you miss it even today when you watch. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard was it to turn it off? Like I mean, you were 54 years old when you retired. Seems like that you would, could walk away at 54 and not want anything else mm-hmm. to do with it. Well, uh, I tell you another thing we've done too. Uh, we run short races. Yeah. You know, through the week, weekends. Uh, Bruce Patron, you know. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, well, like match uh, races, lo- yeah. local yeah, tracks, local track yeah, match yeah, races. Local, and uh, I ran about twenty a year for a long time. Oh really? I, yeah, I won. Man. I won four in a row over at Nashville Fairground. I was <laughs> Everything you did 60, was in streaks. Fifty-one, sixty-two. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, right. But uh, Kale went there one too. And Buddy Baker went to some of them, and, and you know different people. Uh, yeah. Your daddy uh, and Rusty did on the go, you know. And uh, I tell you, uh, just a little. We, we we go to I think I run Columbia like Thursday night before the uh, Darlington race, and so anyway, uh, I run Columbia Thursday night, then come back up to Darlington, then Friday night I went to, uh, some track right there. I can't think the name of it, dirt track race. Well, then Saturday I went to Bush race and Ed Whitaker's car. Well, then Saturday night, in uh, uh, a Slater, we fly away down to South Florida and race tractor trailer. You know, not the trailer hook, but them yeah. big track. Eighteen wheeler. Yeah, yeah, cab. Yeah, and so we run and run and run. And we had a good, uh, them things are hard to drive. Uh, well, I'm I telling you, so. you're setting up in there so high, and you, uh, you don't know if you're gonna blow a tire out. But anyway, yeah. we raced around. <laughs> you know how it is. You post put on a show. Well, you you do. Yeah, and, I'd and say you so. ain't calling back nothing. No, <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, <laughs> we were running, and I couldn't get. I'd get ahead, and here he'd come, and he'd get ahead back and forth. So coming off the last turn, I beat him about two foot. Well, we get back to Darlington. You know, it's time to go to the racetrack, and so we go to the racetrack. Our plane wasn't jets. You know, they didn't go up fast. It's sure. like go to the racetrack. It had a one to Southern five hundred. Then you know, dang, <laughs> so that's a good a, weekend. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but uh, that that's what we're done. And uh, we had a really good time of doing it, and uh, uh, up till I was, you know, about, uh, I guess probably about 65. I didn't race much then, you know, then once you go race with the, but a lot of boys didn't do that. At sure. all. Everybody, Kale and them pretty much was quitting, and uh, they don't, they want you to race with the local, you know. Yeah. And you go to a racetrack, and you got some boys really wanting to. Beat you. Yeah. And so, you know, it's fun racing with people we know, but you go run to the local. So I, I didn't – I said, I'll go you, you got tracking. out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that being the case. Yeah. 
Well, man, I appreciate you coming out here today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. We'll love to get you back out here. We didn't dive into some of the skull bandit years like uh, like we like we. I got a ton more notes that I want to go through with you sometime. So we'd love to have you come back to the show. Um, even talk about the charity ride with Kyle that you do every year and yeah. all those things. So love to have you back. Thanks for coming out here. We got a lot of people listening to this podcast that are huge Harry Gant fans that are thrilled that you're on and uh, that are going to enjoy this. So we appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, we're all pretty busy, especially if you have a small business. No one really has time to go to the post office. I mean, who's got time for all that traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages? It's a real hassle. Mm -hmm. That's why you need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money. Who doesn't love saving a little money? They have discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com bring you all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, that reminds me of filter time, (laughs) Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7, for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in the mailbox. It's that simple. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. Save you time and money. Who doesn't like to save money? Who doesn't like to save time? It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. The convenience and discounts they offer make it a win for everybody. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale Dang. without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Dale Jr. D-A-L-E-J-R. That's Stamps.com. Enter Dale Jr. All right, Ash Jr. presented by Nationwide. Uh, we went old school this week, and the fans kind of stuck with that theme. And, and uh, the first question from Amber Bitten, if you could put on a race with all the old school drivers you've had on the podcast, where would it be, and how would you set up the race? Oh, uh, you know, I think a, a 1987 Winston format was pretty good. Uh, something like 50 laps, 20 laps, 10 laps, three segments. I think you would want to have all the legends in there. Kel Yarborough, even put Richard Childers in a car. Mm. We uh, Harry Gann, obviously, on the show today. Um, all the legends are welcome. The best, I love to watch this race. If you go back and look it up on YouTube, they had a legends race. I think it was 94 at Charlotte Mercer Speedway on the quarter-mile uh, asphalt track on the front stretch. They got Kel Yarborough. Um, man, maybe it wasn't in 94, but I can't remember. Kel Yarborough, who won? Who uh, won the Buddy, race? Buddy Baker? No, number 64, uh, green oh, car. Um, was it uh, uh, Elmo Langley? Elmo Langley won the yeah. race. and uh, But they had a lot of legends, and they put them in real cup cars, and they destroyed these cars. It was awesome. They were tearing I mean, I think Elmo finished without a nose on his car and won the race. So, But it was an old legends race. John Duncan wants to know, um, is there an old school racing rule that you wish NASCAR would bring back? I don't know what what uh, what rule what old school racing rule has gone away that we we miss. 
I think it'd be cool if they took the plates off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, why not? Now, now that you don't have to race it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, turn them loose. <laughs> or, you know, I don't know. Maybe they go a little faster. 210. Go with that yeah. one. All right. Um, he also asks, who are your top three old school drivers, not named Earnhardt, and which current drivers remind you of each? So top Good three. Lord. <laughs> That's <laughs> tough. That is tough. I don't know. You know, I don't have, I don't sit around thinking, man, I got three legends that I love. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I, the, and I, here's who looks just yeah, like him. This guy like reminds me. My guy, Kyle Larson yeah. is definitely <laughs> Rich Bickle. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I was always a big Kel Yarborough fan. I love Kel Yarborough and, um, Besides my dad, I think, um, man, you know, Pascal Yarbrough, Buddy Baker, Jimmy Means, uh, you know, was a guy that I always pulled for. But I don't know. How do you answer that question, Mike? Uh, no, I would go uh, Brad Means reminds me of Jimmy Means. And uh, the, the, Kale Yarbrough's son reminds me of – no, I don't know. <laughs> no. I got you. I don't, really look at, I don't really look at the young drivers today and think – legends in fact you actually make it a point to go opposite the, to not compare do comparisons really? you don't like comparisons yeah I you just, know when I people go you know somebody reminds him of dale earnhardt you yeah, hate that i hate that i yeah. don't like anybody to remind them of my dad my dad's one of a kind but um when i look at like the young drivers today nobody not it doesn't trigger like this you know oh man that guy's like kill yarborough you know <laughs> right because <laughs> i never saw them guys, i guess i didn't see killing them guys running i don't know oh, that's tough that's a tough one I'm going to, I'm going to, I sucked at this answer. I'm sorry, but it's a hard question. <laughs> We've had a lot of hard questions you lately. Um, Billy Harris writes in and he wants to know who was secretly your biggest adversary on and off the track during your career? Secretly? Yeah. Well, I don't mean, I, me and Kyle were uh, at it there for a while, but that wasn't no secret. No. Um, I don't know that they're, you know, what isn't the op? Do you know one? I don't know if Dale Jr. has ever kept a secret. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, he go. pretty much wears it on his sleeves. Yeah. If he has a feeling about something, he was going to say it. So I don't think that there would have been anything yeah. he hid, except his concussions. I think. Kept that hidden. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's no secrets. I'm going to keep thinking on that one because maybe something I don't want to make one up. I mean, I, I would have to. I'd be going out on a limb and, and stretching a little bit of the truth if I was to say anybody's name. There is somebody out there that you said you still uh, – it was somebody back from the Bush series Jason, days. Just, uh, Jason, uh, Jason, Jason Keller? Jason Keller, but we weren't adversaries. No, no I know. You, uh, you still, like 10 years later, said he still got one coming. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he wasn't racing anymore. And then I saw a video a couple weeks ago where I wrecked him, and I didn't remember that I wrecked him. You did get him back. So I must have got him back. <laughs> he doesn't have one coming, everybody. They're, they're even. Jason Keller can rest I easy. I forgot. I got him back. <laughs> Jason just <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> got back. <laughs> dad. All right. There you go. My dad. There you go. All right. He, Me and him got into it at, in Japan in 99, and then again at Bristol uh, after he wrecked me and Elliot Sadler on the first lap. So me and Dad had a couple – uh, even in the short period of time we raced each other, we we didn't we weren't uh, good to each other on the track. I know one. Who? Okay, good. Jimmy Spencer. Yeah. Now, listen, I had no idea you harbored so many feelings about Jimmy. Dude, he said that. No, I mean I knew what he said. Yeah. I didn't know that you were still carrying that around until like, that was rude as hell. It was rude. Well, yeah, and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like Jimmy inaccurate. Or Jimmy uh, Spencer claimed as soon as he got out of the car that. There was something fishy about my 2000, 
Daytona July win. 2001. 2001. The one that, you know, not a dry eye in the place, you know, yep. one of the greatest moments in NASCAR history. Yeah, certainly the greatest moment in, in my my career and, yeah. and, and great night for our company, our team. Everybody's out there celebrating, and he's standing in the garage on with a microphone in his face going, it's fishy. He's that, cheating. That car too good. <laughs> what the <laughs> f- Steel is a <laughs> I don't care. He ain't never coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> What'd I tell you? I, I found me one. I wasn't wrong, was I? <laughs> yeah. To be continued. See, I mean, I knew he wasn't a fan of it, but I didn't. See, he's still got some, he's still got some feelings about it. Yeah. If I don't. I, that's, I hold, you know, I'm as a broadcaster in the booth. I play no favorites, and I, if I don't like a guy, I'm still going to call it straight if he does something great. But when it comes to this show, yeah, that's all. It, yeah. it goes down. <laughs> some of, He's some, not playing. Some, some people will never be on it. There you go. Well, I can't think of a better way to end Ash Junior. Presented by Nationwide. Babylon DIY question of the week. Dale Jr., uh, Alex from Arizona is wondering, what car or artifact is the most prized in your possession? What is the one that would be in the ultimate of your collection? All right, the most prized artifact or car that I I mean, it'd have to be this Nova that we're in the middle of restoring. Okay, yeah. Um, mainly because I spent so much money to get it, but also <laughs> the fact that uh, how I figured out that it was the legitimate car, uh, looking at it, seeing some character flaws and issues with it i uh, know for a fact what car it is and i discovered that doing that work myself which was fun and have somebody tell that to me so that added some meaning to it and just this week oh well yesterday when i got home from the race laying on the kitchen table is dad's uniform that he used when or when he won in that car in daytona so wait, i have wait, 1998 that day way no? before oh, that no, no, no. no you know the car i'm talking about it's the nova Bush oh you're car. talking about this car yes this car uniform the car that i'm the car that's my biggest about. prize possession i got you is i got the you. nova getting restored in the back over here that we've been talking about forever and i just got the suit that he wore in that nova wow so did... now i have a suit tied to the car that's cool where, where did you get it how'd you get it did you pay as much for the suit as you did the car <laughs> well i've talked about it on social media a couple months ago that it was on on uh, ebay for an extreme amount of money and i uh, got in touch with a guy and worked a deal we did a little okay. bartering a little trading of some hardware and uh he is a n- proud owner of a new golf cart and <laughs> i i what got a- yeah. boy. Yeah. Man, i just want my golf cart so bad i have the suit <laughs> it's golf cart and a little cash but anyways, um, I've got this suit that goes with the car. Now that car with the suit, <laughs> yeah, it was worth even more. Yeah. No, that's pretty neat. Well, it's good for you. Freaking neat ain't even the word for it. Well, what, what is the word what for it? What a deal maker. Yeah. Anyhow, the, um, I'll give you a golf cart if you give me that I just that couldn't suit. justify giving him that much money, so we worked a deal, and it was very gracious, and the guy was a complete professional and extremely nice about the whole conversation. What is one that would be the ultimate for my own collection that I don't have? Yeah, he yeah, asked that Is that a good too. question? Yeah. Is that really what we're going? I mean, we don't have to. We can end it right there. Let's end it right there. No, I want to I wanna answer it. All so right. I, have Dad's, I have Dad's Monte Carlo from 1979 and 80. What would be cool, I think, is to have what, uh, the Oldsmobile 442 from that same year, which we have the die cast right here on the table mm-hmm. to be like the, the partner or the sister car to, you know, because he always ran the 442 at the, 
Daytona and Talladega. Yeah. And I'd love to have that car. I think Curb has it, but um, that'd be cool to have yes. to pair it up together. That is cool. Well, listen, from high-mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to valvoline.com slash dale to find the product spec for your engine. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White, white flag, flag right there. White flag. Let's do some white flag. White flag. I've got some Apple Podcast ratings reviews. Going to mow through these. Good boy Hunter says, I look forward to the podcast every week. I think I even got my husband hooked on it now. Shout out to all of the wives or girlfriends or females that have their men listening to this show because we all know that they're going to listen to whatever you tell them to listen to or watch whatever you tell them to watch. So shout out to the to the women of the Dale Jr. Download. Thin Blue 851 says, loved hearing Dave Marcus' stories about being an independent racer. I'll listen to you guys every Tuesday while I drive my patrol car around. So shout out to the you patrollers. Know, to the, to the yes. patrollers, the p- patrol car drivers. Also called officers. Um, <laughs> that's nice for them. McGiggs84, I was an open wheel fan and came to this podcast to hear the Will Power episode. Now I can't get enough start car racing. Because of the Dale Jr. Download, we are expanding my son's racing garage to uh, include a Bandolero. And we are visiting the Houston Short Track every chance we get. So thank you, McGiggs84, Jeff P1966. I want to thank y'all for all the hard work you do. I want to admit I got into drag racing and put NASCAR on the back burner. Because I, Mike Davis. I, oh, wait. No, that's not, not what it says. Okay. Not what it says. I heard about your podcast when you had John Force on and loved it. Haven't missed a show or a NASCAR race, so thank you. So we are literally turning the sport around right here, guys. I don't know if y'all – that's the that's what I'm getting out of these. We're, we're bringing NASCAR right back. Uh, Jay, last one, JK Ton 7 Love this podcast. All the information that I ever want is on this show and Racing Wives. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> no better place to put us than with Racing Wives. And that's your white flag. Let's do some odd history. All right, guys, I got some odd history uh, this is uh, one that it's probably the first odd history I've ever heard in my in my life about racing. I mean, this story goes way back. Oh, you remember it? For, I see what you're saying. Yeah, this is I the remember. First one you remember. I remember this from a long, long, long time ago. Now you got to remember the history of Talladega Motor Speedway. I mean, the history uh, is obviously is built on an old uh, military air base. Is that right? I thought it was like a burial ground. That was what it was before it was a military Okay. Airbase. If you look at it from the air, you yeah. can see the landing strips, yeah. right? Um, so I think it was a World War II military airbase. Before that, it was a Indian burial ground. Yeah. And it's always sort of, they've always, I don't know if it's been played on a little bit, but in the last several decades, it's been a bit of a propaganda thing for us you know oh, it's cursed yeah but in the 60s 70s when, like in the 70s when they first went there throughout the 70s throughout that decade it was a real concern like the drivers really thought man this place is cursed gotcha uh, and that's that since turned into like a fairy a sort of a, a fairy tale or story if you will but going back to august 12th 1973 so this is like the fourth or so year that they've raced at talladega the drivers didn't like it from the start they, they too fast yeah too fast tires couldn't handle it da, 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 da. so they boycott it and all that so the drivers aren't very comfortable with the place as it is and if it's you know in the history with it being a barrel ground and all that made them all nervous all right the cup series was racing there on lap 90 bobby isaac pulled into the pits and he got out of the car they got Cuckoo Marlin as a relief driver. I didn't know that. I just thought he got out of the car and quit. But Cuckoo Marlin gets in the car and finishes the race. Isaac suddenly announces that he's retiring. It's crazy. All right. 
The reason was surprising to most. The story is that Isaac heard a voice that told him to quit. The 1970 NASCAR champion was quoted as saying, something told me to quit. I don't know anything else but to abide by it. Mm. So he's out there going around the racetrack and heard voices to get out of the car. Um, Larry Smith uh, was killed in a lap 14 crash that day. Isaac said that accident didn't have any bearing on that decision to quit. He had no thoughts of quitting before uh, or during the race. And a day later, he told a news reporter that, quote, if I've lost anything in racing, I lost it in the last four or five laps yesterday. And that quote really kind of still is a mystery as to what that means. Yeah, what does that mean? Goodness. He also went on to say, I don't have anything to prove to myself or anything anybody else. I know how it feels to win and lose. I know how it feels to be a champion, and now I know how it feels to quit. Isaac was always known for being an impulsive guy. If he decided to do something, he did it. I mean, that yeah, a lot of people are like that, but he's kind of a you know, very I think, impulsive. I think he gets the award yeah. on impulsiveness. <laughs> <laughs> the, retirement, the retirement wasn't permanent, though. He was convinced to return to a part-time schedule the following year, and he did drive you know, multiple races beyond that, but um, he, he swears that he heard voices. I believe him. Yeah. I mean, you don't do that without hearing voices. And I yeah. believe it. I believe there was something to it. Now, I don't know who it was. I don't, I'm not saying it was. Uh, I want to believe that he may have been leading the race. What? Yeah. By laps. Like he had the race in hand. We yeah. need to. Oh, somebody. He was, yeah. He was leading the race yeah. and he heard voices. Right. Absolutely. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah, I mean that again. Going going back to uh, what I was saying to start. That's the that was that's kind of the first weird, wicked story I've ever heard in racing. And yeah. I've heard I heard that story when I was a little kid, and always can't get enough of it. Yeah, it always you know, comes back. There are these. There's been a couple though. Like he's hearing voices. I remember when Jeff Bodine had that bad accident in Daytona, and he said that he saw or maybe even had a conversation with his deceased father at the time. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do y'all remember that crash? Was it in a truck? Who's but, but Jeffrey yeah, Bodine. It was in Billy oh. Blue's truck. Yeah. Uh, number oh, they, 15. And, 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 Daytona. And, 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 oh, okay. and down the front straight. And yeah, it ripped up the bad crash. Yeah. And he said that he saw and had a conversation with his uh, deceased father. And I'm going to tell you something. I believed it. I still believe it. Yeah. I believe that. I have it, never heard that. Yeah. I wow. d- I remember that happening. Because he shouldn't have He shouldn't have survived that crash. It was horrific. But anyways, I believe that that stuff happens. I think Bobby, Bobby Isaac heard it. And uh, it's crazy, though, that he actually retired. Yeah. It is odd. It is odd. That's history, and it's odd. Oh, man. How about that show, Mike? Good show. All right. Having Harry again on here is pretty special. Always look up to him. Amazing guy. But before we put a period on the end of the show, let's talk about winning again. Winning cool autographed items, that is. Yeah, that's right. Pristine Auction. It's an online sports memorabilia website where you can bid and win some of the amazing, some of the most amazing authentic items. There are all types of auctions, too, that are really cool are the daily ones. Um, It's like putting down a one-lap qualifying run. The 10-minute auctions are action-packed, and you can snag some sick deals. So, Matthew, you like, uh, you think the dailies are like the qualifying runs or the... uh it's actually the ten minutes. no. I think the ten minute ones yeah. are more qualifying. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, the, the dailies are more like practice. Yeah, dailies are uh, maybe maybe more like a, a Xfinity race or like a Jimmy Spencer qualifying run. What would that be? Uh, oh, a slow to? one. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, dog and your man or Berwick. All right. Well, they have these ten minute auctions. They're a lot of fun. I feel like that those are the most exciting. They happen fast, and sometimes you kind of sneak in there and get you something for on the cheap. Dillner picked out a ra- uh, real cool item. 
uh, Ric Flair limo diecast, but we uh, we let him bid on it, and darn it, he lost. Damn it. I was really looking forward to it. I was I was thinking it was going to come in here today, and he's going to be on the, on the table. I suck. <laughs> I tried. I sort of broken-hearted. Did- <laughs> I am. I literally, two minutes to go, I placed a bid, and then somebody trumped me. Is, there, is that the only one, or? Yeah, but there's no other one on there right now. But I, I literally was on there with two minutes to go. Oh, man, good job, Matthew. This week, he found a Jimmy Johnson SpongeBob SquarePants car signed, and the bid is only up to twenty-three bucks. That's a diecast signed by Jimmy Johnson with SpongeBob's face on it. Mm-hmm. Twenty-three bucks, pretty cheap. Go check out pristineauction.com now. It's free to register, free to bid, and, of course, you only pay for the items you win. Remember, with Pristine, the authenticity is guaranteed. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. Listen up, Junior Nation. When you register, be sure to select our Dale Junior Download podcast from the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's real important. I can't stress how important that is. This is funny because you got to be – I mean, I guess you haven't been upbeat. Upbeat sign-off. This is what got me thrown off. Here's why. Because uh, after this pristine re- read, sometimes it's like, all right, bye. What does the X mean? Example. Oh. <laughs> Not like a, an ex-girlfriend. Who would have <laughs> guessed that? <laughs> Upbeat sign-off X. Who would have guessed that? Not me. I didn't know what it meant. I was we reading it. I didn't we should have tested I thought you were. Here. All right. Here we go. All right, guys. That's the end of the show. Thank you to Harry Gant. Uh, appreciate all our listeners. Be sure to follow us on social media, Dirty Mo Media, our YouTube channel, Dirty Mo Media. We'll see you next week on the Dale Jr. Download. Yes. That was great. That was good. Up that was energy. That was a good that example. Was that was a good X. That was a great that example. A that's, a great, that's a good X of upbeat.